Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Shut up and sit down. Hello, everybody. How are you tonight? Bill Real, I see you there. How are you? RFM, how are you? Well, I asked you first. Okay, well, I'm doing splendid. Life is good. My wife and I just got back from our very first cruise. We went to the Mexican Riviera. Had wow. a great time. I, I, I didn't know what to expect. I knew cruise ships were great, but I didn't know how great. And I thought they were, man, it's like a pleasure palace on the sea. And they're oh. not they're not terribly expensive. It was a relatively cheap thing for us to do and went to LA, uh, got on the boat, rode for seven days, like three to Mexico, and then three days enjoying different stops at Mexico, and then uh two day, day and a half back. But it was great. Uh well, it's good to have you back. We certainly missed you last week. Yeah, I uh heard it was in a fantastic episode. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I've been working on this uh this episode that we've been working on tonight that we're we're mostly ready for. I so. hope that we're ready for this. Uh, we have been putting a ton of work into this episode. And by we, I mean Bill and Maven. And uh, actually, I have too. But uh, we'll talk about this tonight. By the way, today is March 15th, 2023. It's episode 119 of Mormonism Live. The title is The Corden Homicide Epilogue. Do you know why I yeah. call it epilogue? Do I want to call it up? It's already called epilogue. No, do you know why I call it epilogue? Because you want this to be the end. Yeah, this is the third podcast on this. And I think that hopefully this is going to be the last one. You don't want to make more requests? Because I think maybe there's still more things missing. Oh, there's definitely more. But I don't don't (laughs) want to tax our audience's uh, patience. No, epilogue, it's a a reference back to the old Quinn Martin production TV shows where they had act one, act two, act three. And then the final thing was epilogue. Dun, dun, dun. Do you remember that at all? No. Did you never watch Barnaby Jones? What years was was Barnaby Streets Jones? of San Francisco? Yeah, yeah. What the year fugitive? was that? 19, 19 what? Anything. Come on. Kojak. Come on. Barnaby Jones. What years? These are the 70s. The 70s. I was when born in 70s. TV was great. That was the apex of TV quality back in the oh, 1970s. I thought it was the 80s with Give Me a Break and Different Strokes and Silver Spoons and Knight Rider. No, no. That's okay. the pale pale in comparison to the 70s. I'm going to blame the generation. I'm going to blame the gap between the things you say and the things I don't understand as a generation gap. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. It's March 15th, so Bill Real, beware the Ides of March. Yeah. Um, Is that a generation gap thing? um, Yeah, I know that Ides is in a lot of poems, but I don't know anything beyond that. Are you picking up on what I'm laying down, man? Uh, Not. Okay, well, all. in the comment section, everybody else can... I'll, I'll just help you out here, okay? Beware the Ides of March is a line from a Shakespeare play. Mm. It's called Julius Caesar and the Ides of March. The Ides is a Roman reference. Back a long time ago, they used to have a name for the day that's in the middle of the month, and they called it the Ides. Today's the 15th. It's kind of like the middle of March. It's the Ides of March. But more importantly than that, on mm. this date, back in 44 BCE, 
So if you had 44 to 2023, I think you get what? 2067. That makes sense. It was that many years ago that Julius Caesar was assassinated. Yeah, I don't know. Like I'm perfect. Julius the only Caesar thing I can was a do, Roman. The only knowledge I know that I can connect to this <laughs> is that the distance between Cleopatra and us yes. is shorter than the distance between Cleopatra and the uh, proposed the, the generally accepted date for the building of the pyramids in Egypt. Okay. There you go. Yes, Cleopatra, she was not a Roman. She was a Greek. Yeah, I'm just, just listening to Joe Rogan every day, you know? Oh, good, good, good. Okay, so we got to make some announcements here. Just yeah, please. remember, beware the Ides of March. And uh, one of the announcements has to do with this coming Saturday, which is Worldwide Thrive Day. Bill, were you aware of that? I heard just in the last maybe 72 hours about Worldwide Thrive Day, and uh, we certainly wanted to pass the word on to folks. Yes, in many major cities throughout the U.S., possibly the world, they're having special Thrive uh, celebrations, festivals on Saturday, March 18th, and I received some copy that I wanted to read about it, and I'll do it very quickly. This was written by somebody else for me to read, and uh, I'll let you guess who it was who wrote it. This is what was written for me to read. Start. I very nicely agreed to make this announcement as a personal favor to someone who I owe money to. Ouch. It hurts me just to read that. It's so grammatically infelicitous. I just want to remind everybody that this Saturday, March 18th, is Thrive Unite. This is a day where Thrive groups meet on the same day all over the country and even internationally. Like I said. You can get information about Thrive Unite happening in your area by going to thrivebeyondreligion.com. There are some really excellent speakers lined up. I know in Ogden and Lehigh, they are having Stephen Hassan. So many people have put in months of time and energy to, next page, make these events really awesome. So look it up on thrivebeyondreligion.com. Get your tickets and attend a Thrive Unite event near you this Saturday. Also, if you, continuing with the final line here, also, if you would like to swing a dead cat at Rebecca Biblioteca in person, she will be emceeing the Lehigh Thrive event, then three LMAO emojis. Okay, so uh, if you can figure out who wrote that, then you go to the head of the class. Okay, well, I, I have the cheat sheet, so. It was my dead cat who wrote that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> not not your mom's dead dog no 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 which is a whole other story no he never got to the writing phase of his life to ride to school he tried to follow me to school one day he was trying to <laughs> he was trying to better himself you know but best laid plans of mice and men so they oh, say okay yeah. so you know um we're talking today about um derek Gordon. okay so here's the deal this is the third podcast once again i i'm committed this will be the last one but there's really really interesting stuff to talk about today because we first started talking about this several months ago when because bonnie corden the president of the young women's for the whole church started talking about this incident where her grandson derek had passed away back in 2016 and, and making a spiritual experience out of it some enterprising individual found a family protection report 
that was on the internet involving the case, posted it on Reddit. And so we went over that report in some detail. By the way, interestingly, that report is no longer available on the internet. It appears that that report, together with maybe every other report that uh, the Florida Family Protection Services did, are now not available. They're not public anymore. I was right. kind of surprised this was public, but yeah. So it's not available anymore. But you can go back to the first episode we did about that. We talk about that, and then I did a um, a Freedom of Information Act request, a public disclosure request of the Orange County Sheriff's Office in Florida. That was the investigating agency. We got partial discovery mm. on that response, and we mm -hmm. talked about that in our second episode. And you'll recall that what we got was some uh, about twenty pages or so of police reports a whole ton of photographs and we got it was like an eight minute or so video of hannah corden the mother of derek the deceased child when she was being interrogated or questioned by two police officers and they were asking her to recreate what happened with derek in the hotel room at embassy suites with a raggedy ann or raggedy andy doll okay that's all we got. This was totally insufficient. It was obvious they had a lot more than they were giving me. So I wrote a rather strongly worded letter, which I read at the end of the last episode, right? Sent it off to the records person in Orange County Sheriff's Office with a CC to the sheriff himself. And then two weeks later, actually 15 days later, I got a... That one was quick. It was pretty darn quick. Yeah. <laughs> I was impressed. Yeah. Um, hang on just a second here. I apologize. I'm a little under the weather. But regardless, got a message say, hey, okay, it's in your email. So what we have now is additional information. And it answers a number of questions that you and I both had regarding the facts mm. and how they went down. But mainly what we got in this second production mm. of information is three interviews. Okay. One is with Hannah herself. Okay, this is the interview they had with her the same day at the same hospital before they call her back to do the recreation that we played last time. Okay, so there's Hannah, there's Nolan Corden, who's the father of Derek, whom they interview, and Bonnie Corden. We actually have the interview of Bonnie Corden, which is about 17 minutes long. And I just thought this has got to be worth the price of the of admission because how many times do you get to hear the general president of the young women's of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints getting grilled by the cops? It's not often. It, sh it no. should probably be more often after seeing the recent news with the SEC report. I think more church leaders should probably be questioned. But ah. it is rare. And they may yet be. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if we can get those too. Like, but, nice. Anyway, what we want to do is we're going to go with these in what I think is chronological order. By the way, just to set it out again, all of this happens with, with Derek and the injuries he suffers and is being taken to the hospital on the night of December 8th, around midnight into early morning hours of December 9th. So what ends up happening in is he ends up at the hospital and everybody in the family who's there at Disneyland goes to the hospital as well and it's at the hospital Eventually. that the 
detectives show up and they start bringing these people into like a staff room that they have there at the hospital to ask questions and they record them. Now, these are not videos. These are audio recordings of the individuals. And to try and put them as best as we can in order, the first one we're going to listen to is Bonnie Corden. The second one we're going to listen to is Hannah Corden. And the third one we're going to listen to is Derek Corden. And it's after Derek Corden, if you want to have all this chronologically in your head, it's after that that the video we played last time would occur when they bring Hannah back in and ask her to, her to do the recreation. And it's after about eight minutes of that that uh, Nolan, her husband, comes in and calls it quits and says, okay, we're done here. And then shortly thereafter says, any other questions? Our attorney's got to be present. He basically shuts it down as far as the investigation goes at that point. Bill, do you have anything you want to say? Um, oh, there's Derek right there on the, the screen. Yeah. So just a couple things would be, it may seem to the audience on the front end of this, that playing all of this audio doesn't make a lot of sense, but having listened and spoken with RFM over the last couple of days, I think there is significant data points in these three audio pieces that shape how we uh, see the case from what we did in the first episode and the second episode. And now what these three audio bites add into uh, our knowledge base and how, how each of you can begin to kind of frame better this case. I think these three are crucial to understanding better what happened. And I'll tell you, I'm getting a, a message here from Maven. I may have misspoken. I may have said Bonnie, Hannah, and Derek. What I meant to say was Nolan. So yeah. there's Bonnie is the grandmother, right? There's Bonnie. She's married, and her husband is there. We find that out. And her husband is named Derek, okay? And we've talked about him before on the podcast. And so the name Derek, because it's the kid and because it's the grandpa and the grandpa's Bonnie's hu uh, uh, husband, yeah. we've been dealing with these names in other episodes. So it has been easy for me to misspeak, too. Uh, and say, Derek, when I really mean Nolan. Right. And so you've got Bonnie and her husband, Derek, who have, of course, a bunch of children. And three of them are present on this trip. By the way, is it okay if I just set this up? This is the mm -hmm. cast of characters whom you'll hear about. She has three children of their children with them. One is Nolan Corden, who is, of course, married to Bonnie Corden. And they have two children with them. The oldest is Derek, who's two years and eight months back in December of 2016 when this trip to Disney World happens and everything happens. And then there's a smaller baby, okay, who's also present in the room. There is another child who uh, we're going to use this, this fellow's name, right, Bill? We've agreed to that. Uh, the other kid in the other room? Yes, I wasn't using his name. Okay, it may come out, but anyway, we've done our best to try and redact this, regardless of the fact that we got this, and we're certainly within our rights to play it. We're trying to be sensitive. Yeah. It is a sensitive subject. So there is uh, another son, I'll just say that for now, okay, yep. who's also present in the same suite. He's apparently 26 or 27 years old. Oh, yeah, the, the adult person, yes. yes. Not the kid Not the in baby. the other room. There's another yeah. kid, another baby in another room. Okay, I and thought we'd agree to that. But but yes, you can say the brother's name. Yeah, Tanner. Okay. 
Okay. Because so he's we confirmed 26 he's an 27. adult. Yeah, 27 year old adult. He's another adult. He's in the same suite. So you'll yeah. find out that Tanner, the 26 year old, is sleeping out in the couch in the front of the suite. And then in the bedroom, there is Nolan, Hannah, Derek, and the baby. And Okay, that's one room. In the other room are also five people. And that's, once again, that's going to be Bonnie and her husband, Derek, and their daughter, whose name is Heather. She's an adult. We'll find out more about her in a second. Mm -hmm. And her husband, and they have one baby with them. Mm -hmm. Okay? So five people in each room. That's the cast of characters who are all down there. So you can sort of understand the relationships that are going on. All right. Now, before we get to this, I was concerned about how to present this information because the interview with Bonnie's like 17 minutes. The interview with Nolan is around 37 minutes or so. And uh, with the longest one is, of course, with Hannah. And that's around 45 minutes. That's just too long. So the first thing I thought, and the first thing we talked about was, well, okay, we could edit this and we could edit out the stuff that isn't important where they're talking about family history of medical problems or whatever. But then I thought, well, hang on a second. Just because I think something is not important and we can edit it out doesn't mean that somebody in the audience might see something significant in that. So balancing all that out, here's what we decided to do. We're going to play everything we've got, but we're going to speed it up to maybe 1.3 or 1.4. They're not going to sound like chipmunks. It's just going to be faster than it is originally, but it's still completely intelligible. If anybody wants to listen to it slower and listen to it again, you can go back to this episode, play it at a slower pace. Okay. So we're trying to balance, uh, you know, audience interest and also the fact that most of you have been with us on this case from the very beginning. And we feel we owe you the respect of putting all the information that we have out there. Now, there's one exception to this, okay? The one exception to this is an eight-minute video that we have in the second request. And it answers a big question that I had before. Um, we're going to just show you a screen grab of that. This actually chronologically is after everything. But it does turn out that Hannah the mother was arrested after these interviews were over. And this eight minute video is basically video from a camera in the ceiling of her in what they would call a hard interview room, which is apparently located at the jail. And she's not really, there's nobody talking with her in it. She goes to the door. She asks for a chaplain, if a chaplain's there that she could pray with. And it's when she says that, she says, is there a chaplain at the jail that I can pray with? That's where it makes it really clear it's the jail. It's obviously not the hospital. This is a hard interview room. Hard interview room is a technical expression. It just means it's an interview room where it's very basic. There's a table, there's chairs, there's no, nothing on the wall to make it look nice or cozy or comfortable. That would be a soft interview room. This is a hard interview room. And we just were going to do a screen grab because, you know, it's we just didn't see any point really in, frankly, it would be, I could see it as being humiliating just to watch a person sobbing in an interview room, which is what she spends most of the time doing. There's nobody else in there with her. Um, 
I don't know. Do we do we have the screen grab? Did anybody do the screen grab on that? We've been working on tons of things to get ready for tonight. And if we don't have it, that's okay. You can just take my word for it. And if we do, then we can I show do it. have it. Give me just a moment to uh, put it in the right spot. So downloads, downloads, F11. But this is one of the questions while you're looking, Bill, that we had. Because in the original family uh, yeah, report, it talked about her being arrested and charged. And I didn't see anything in the actual police reports we were getting that showed that. Yeah. And... Here she is. So that's the hard interview room where she's located. Yeah. And like I say, it's eight minutes. And basically, it's uh, apparently at the jail. And she's not saying anything. But this does answer the question that it does look very much like, yeah, she got arrested. Yeah. And again, like you said, the child fatality report said something. And um, the the police report seemed to have hinted at it strongly. But nothing was official and so this yeah the police of, report didn't say it. anything about yeah. whether she was arrested yeah so she did get arrested this is i'm sure this is after uh th they're obviously focusing on her the yeah. police think she's the suspect and you'll see that in the way that they interview her as compared to the way they interview nolan but um yeah this this is she was arrested and i still can't answer whether she was charged i've never seen anything about any court documents i've done a a search it hasn't been you know exhaustive but yeah. i can't find anything about her actually being charged but she was arrested okay so having said that being arrested does not mean that you're charged a lot of people conflate the two but being arrested is what pe police get to do for people if they got probable cause to believe that they have committed a felony it's a far cry from proof beyond a reasonable doubt which is what a prosecutor is supposed to have before they file charges so Anything you want to add about this, Bill, before we go to the first interview? No, other than the three of us have been working hard on this thing. And I, th I still think we could have used another two or three weeks because I think every time it's, it's hard to explain every time I listen to this audio. And I think you felt the same way. Every time you listen to this audio, you were connecting dots and hearing things that you didn't pick up on in the last time around. And, and so I've spent all day today listening to these at least three times each and and in at least one or two of the cases four or five times um and, right and we spent an hour was... talking last night and then yeah. i listened to them again after that and yeah. then other things are falling into place and yeah. things that were confusing before suddenly start reaching a little bit more clarity yeah. by the way the order of presentation tonight everybody we could also talk about what we see in it and then play it but no we're not going to do that we're just going to play it we're going to play each interview so you can hear it cold without us, you know, talking about what we think about it, which could unnecessarily influence you one way or another. Play it cold. Then we're going to compare notes. So we'll play yeah. the uh, Bonnie Corden one first. We'll compare notes. Then we'll play the, um, uh, the, the it's going to be Hannah next, yeah. right? And then compare notes. Then we play Nolan and then compare notes. And we'll also compare notes about all three. Yeah. So if you got any comments you want to make about what you're hearing, what you see, what you think, uh, go ahead and throw them into the um, live chat. And if you have any questions or other comments, you can call at the end. I do want to make it really clear at the outset that charges were not pursued. It does not appear that the prosecuting authority felt that there was proof beyond a reasonable doubt for charging anybody in this case. So 
I want to make it really clear. We are not making any accusations against anyone in this case. We are here more reporting. I am going to try and use a little bit of the analytical skills, whatever they may be, from my 33 years of being an attorney, nine years, uh, excuse me, eight years as a prosecutor, 25 years as a private defense attorney, and see if we can get some clarity here. The clarity is not going to be, oh, this person did it, obviously, but there may be some other things that we can get a little bit more clear on as we do the epilogue on this tragic case. So let's have Bonnie Corden, um, and I'm not gonna say anything about it now. We'll just talk about it afterward. I will only say that uh, I found that there was an interesting difference between the Bonnie Corden as she presents herself in general conference versus the Bonnie Corden as she's talking to the police officers. Yeah, this definitely is a, a little different tone. It is December 9th, 2016. The time is 11 hours. This is in reference to case number 2016-111490 in reference to Derek Cordon, uh, white male. This is date of birth. My name is the detective with the Orange County Sheriff's Office. We have, uh, we're at the Arnold Palmer Hospital on the second floor in a, uh, looks like a break room for the employees. Uh, Derek is in room 2006. Uh, also in the room with me, detective. I assume that was a parade. I shouldn't have assumed. Is that what that is? Um, no. Well, you just sit on benches and the little boats go by and they're Disney. I mean, if you haven't been to Disney, you I haven't been to years. <laughs> okay. Living so, here, it's the last thing you want to do. <laughs> so I'm sure you can look it up and you'll know all yeah. about it. 
I just want to make sure it wasn't a ride. I assumed it was a parade. It is a parade. Okay. That's, that's all it was. was. Is he tall enough to ride any of the rides? Was he able to go on anything yesterday? I think. And he's a big fellow in there. He's, he's fairly tall. He's so. not very tall. He's pretty oh. good. He's pretty good guy. Um, and most of the things there are shows. I'm not with him the whole time because I had a bunch of grandkids there. Yeah. So uh, I couldn't tell you with 100% certainty what he went on. Okay. But the nice thing about Disney is they're pretty strict on their height requirements. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think what he went on. Um, when I was with him, he was at Muppets show. We went to, my person was the thing called, um, Indiana Jones. Um, was it basically all shows that you went to and it really wasn't? I'm sure he probably person. went on whatever, well, they can't really go on roller coasters. No, I think the only thing that he was able to height-wise go on was um, Toy Story. Okay. And that's his height, as far as I'm right. Yes, ma'am. That's what I was trying to figure out. But I out. don't know if there's anything else in that park that they would be qualified for, but I don't know. I'm not a real I've actually never even been to that park. I okay. have no idea. Okay, so you and I are in the same the Disney studio, I think, right? Yes, we're at Disney Studios. Okay. So that's, that's the reason I was asking. Um, I understand you guys spent the day there yesterday, and then you went over to Disney Springs mm-hmm. to get a snack after the day. Uh, and everybody left from there, and I guess half went with you, and then your son Tanner went with Nolan, Hannah, and the two boys mm-hmm. went to Disney or to McDonald's in the back. What what happened when you guys got back? Did you guys stay separated at the rooms? Would you guys hang out? Or? No, we didn't. Everybody retired. We went to bed. Okay. And or at least our apartment went to bed. I mean, our yes, went to bed. Okay. You didn't hear them arrive or anything, so you have no idea. They, no, I don't know what time they did. I think they called, I don't know if they called my husband or me or. Uh, whichever phone I didn't talk to him, but I think my husband talked to him on what phone I don't know. But they just said, Hey, we got back, where's we go? Like, awesome. See you in the morning. And then the next thing, how did you guys get notified that there was something wrong? With no one called me. No one called you? Okay. Well, actually, he called my dad, Derek's phone. Okay. He called Derek's phone and you answered the phone? Yeah, you're, you're in a hotel room. You're all. I'm just going to pause it because people are asking for it to be slowed down. So I can put it um, back at regular speed. So if anyone's listening, Till now, and they've slowed it down to listen. You'll want to go back to regular speed to hear it from here on out. Is that okay? Yes, let's do that because okay. I think Bonnie's very important. Okay, here we go. Kind of uh, right I there. I understand. I'm just trying to make sure you were the one that talked to to Nolan on the phone. Oh yes, I was one, and I, he said Derek's not doing good. Had him went to take him to the hospital. I said, "How come you're not with him?" He said, "Well, I've got here," and I said, "Well, I haven't said we can take." And so then Derek and Nolan went, and I took okay. About what time was that? I have no idea. I'd have to look at the phone. Okay. Was it night? It was nighttime. I'm assuming. Okay. Was Tanner still in the room? Uh-huh. Well, Tanner was holding. And so I was, when you said that you guys went and got him, I was like, well, Tanner. Well, because Tanner, he, yeah, but. In an emergency, that's all. Emergency, grandma. I mean, yeah. Grandma's not going to leave the baby. Tanner does great with little people, yeah. but it'd be better to have a grandma. So Grandma takes care of him. Okay, just, uh, I know he's young, so don't, don't be offended, but does Tanner have any kids? No. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so you you stayed with the, the grandson, and your husband took Nolan to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, do you have any medical history in your family? Anything that might uh, we might want to know about? I mean, is there anything that you know? You know, I don't know. My husband's adopted. Yes, ma'am. He told us. Okay, so he's always a wild card, so yes, we don't ma'am. know. Yeah. That's what I was wondering from your side. Of the my family. side of the family. My father passed away from ALS. No bleeding disorders. No anything. Not that disease. I know. Not that I know of. So unfortunately, now we're seeing more of uh, children having fragile bones and having these different things. So 
I didn't know. Yeah, I'm not that I issue. I'll have to ask her, but I'll ask you since you're sitting here. Did, does your daughter-in-law has she said anything? I don't know if that's a topic. My daughter-in-law is the one that's in that. But yes, ma'am. Derek's mom. Yeah, Derek's does mom. her side of the family have anything like that? Yeah, I didn't know if that would ever come up, but. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, I don't. Are you aware that of uh, Derek having little Derek having any any medical conditions? Well, when he was little, little, they had his. Let's see what they had taken out, because he couldn't breathe. Um, Adenoids. And then they said, you know, his tonsils are really bad, so they'll have a problem with that with breathing. Mm -hmm. My daughter is a NICU nurse, which you probably already know, but uh, that's Heather, right? That's Heather. So yesterday, when she he was she was just watching. They were all in the strollers. He was sleeping. She said he is not breathing right. When was this? Uh, yesterday. Yesterday. Okay. And I said. And so I watched him, I said, oh my goodness. And so Hannah came by and she said, I think he's breathing right, Hannah. And she said, well, you know, he's got those enlarged tonsils. Mm -hmm. um, the doctor said, we probably don't need him out till he's five, but maybe I need to take him, you know, their little sister-in-law's discussion. And, yeah. But there Derek woke up and was running around. So that's all I know. Did you and your daughter discuss that anymore back at the room about his health or not his health, but. No, we just said we got to get those tonsils looked at. Uh, if he's having that much problem breathing, he's got to get that removed. Is there anything I haven't asked you about or we haven't asked you about that you think we might not want to know or are we missing anything here? <laughs> we don't have anything to hide, so I'm just trying to think no, of something. Writing, I mean, if there was something I, I would love to know. Why are you guys not doing it? But I don't know. Before you got the phone call from Nolan, um, did you hear anything? Any any sounds or noises or anything at all? Because the rooms are adjacent to one another, right? Yeah, they're right side by side. Okay, so did you hear anything? Well, I mean, I heard just, you know, baby noises, but we hear baby noises all through the night. Like like what, like crying or? Oh yeah, James either cries or Sam cries or, you know. Well, coming from from the room that little Derek was in, did you hear any, any, no, any I mean, talking? Anybody? No, I didn't hear any talking. In fact, so when I got the phone call, that's, I mean, when I got the phone call, I'm up. If she went to the hospital, so grandma's up, I'm over at the other room, Derek's getting dressed. So, I mean, commotion was, it's my understanding that little Derek at some point uh, may have yelled out or something or, 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 or squealed or something. Well, he was gone when I got the phone call. Right. I'm talking about before he was, before he was gone. Oh. And well, I was asleep. So I got the phone call. Okay, so you weren't awakened by any, anything or didn't hear anything while you were sleeping? Well, I've heard, yeah. I don't know if I, I couldn't tell you. James, I mean, they're all, they're babies, so I know. Do you know what time you got notified? Yeah, if we look on my phone, I can tell you. I don't know. I, I didn't know if you, when you were over there with, with Sam, if you noticed what time it was. I, I, I had my phone, but I didn't notice anything. I was more worried about getting Sam to make sure. Well, he didn't wake up. But I wanted to make sure he stayed to sleep, and then he woke up after everybody was running in and out. So then I had a little 
awake baby. So, but we can look on the phone. It will have all the information. Uh, prior to yesterday, any other breathing problems, or that's the first time since you guys been that's here? That's what I noticed. Okay. But as we were running around with people, you know, I never, they didn't sit down enough to notice. So it was just a quiet moment at the park where Heather said, you know, I don't think he's breathing right. And you haven't seen him directly fall or anything like that? I have not. Think of? We've been racking our brain. Did he fall down? Did he fall down? I mean, you know, he would run mm -hmm. and then trip because he's running too fast to something. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, those kind of falls, but that is just running through a park. And he's, how verbal is he now? Is he able he, to tell you things or just certain words or? He's kind of more certain words. I mean, okay. he couldn't tell you in a detail of something, but okay. he's usually pretty good when he's, you know, he says, um, And he hasn't been complaining of any pain or anything that you that no. Do you know how they usually discipline him? Um, <clears throat> there are, you know, I. Derek's a really obedient boy. Mm. Um, you probably never find anyone who is more. If you say, Derek, we have to go. He might all of a sudden tear up, like, I don't want to go, but he'll go. Mm -hmm. Whereas some kids, you know, there's kicking and screaming, and you have to just pick him up, and we're hauling you out. Mm -hmm. Derek's not like that. Derek is just, okay. And you say, Derek, I, I have my whole house with low trinkets. He's never touched one. The other two boys have been born, and they're all up now. Because Derek, if you just say, Derek, no, you can't do that. He says, okay. So he is pretty much a, he's the most obedient child I've ever seen. He goes, did you put him in bed? He goes right to sleep. And he's just incredibly obedient. So it's not like you have to really discipline. All you say is, Derek, you can't do that. Okay. And he won't do it. Whereas my other grandkids... <laughs> They're just normal kids. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. But they got blessed with the sunshine. And he say, they stay at home with mom. Yes. Dad works. Right Dad works. Mom's home. Have you ever seen either one of them like get frustrated with him for any reason, even though he's really good? Ever seen anything out of the ordinary? I mean, not out of the ordinary, no. Do you know, uh, it's not called probably DCF up there, but do you know if DCF's ever been called for anything about the kids up there? How often do you see them? I know you guys live about 60 miles away. Your yeah, we don't. I mean, we get to see them. Um, Derek sees them more than I do. But usually, I mean, at least twice a month. And usually when they come up, they'll stay for the weekend because... It's just easier. We appreciate your time, and I'm sorry. If there's, if you would. Uh, I know you're just doing your job. No, it must be difficult. So, our prayers go out to you. We really do. The statement you provided, you swear is the truth, the whole truth, and the truth. Yeah. Okay. 
I'll walk you back over. Go ahead and the recording. It's uh, 11.57 hours. Okay, so there's the end of the interview with Bonnie Corden back on December 9, 2016 at the Arnold Palmer Hospital in Orange County, Florida. Um, can I just, I'll just say a couple of obvious things. First off, this answers the question that we had about what did Bonnie know and when did she know it? That was not at all evident from what we had received before. According to Bonnie's statement, nobody contacts her or anybody else in the room apparently about what's going on with Derek until Nolan calls on the phone after he has seen Hannah off in the car driving to the hospital with Derek. And they're the only two in the car, presumably the rental car. So that has all taken place. Whatever happened in that room took place and they went down put Hannah in the car, put Derek in the car, sends him off. And then Nolan, at some point after that, calls on the phone and talks to his mom. We also learned something else that's very important about the person who was in the room, which had been mentioned in that original report, but was not verified and not even mentioned in any of the police reports we got, which is that Bonnie Corden's daughter, her adult daughter, Heather, is a registered nurse. She was in the room with Bonnie and the others in that suite. And not only is she a registered nurse, she's a NICU nurse. So, and that has to do with dealing specially with infants. A neonatal intensive care unit nurse. Yes. So obviously that raises questions that the police are gonna have, and which we had from the outset, which is you've got a nurse in the family who's right there with you in the same, hotel if i were a believing mormon and my child was having a health event that i did not cause it would feel to me like a tender mercy that my sister who is a neonatal intensive care unit nurse who you'll you, it even gets worse in later audio i won't say that part but um if I were a if I were a faithful, active, believing Mormon family, which the Cordons appear to be, I would consider it a tender mercy that my kid's having a health event, and in the very next room is my sister, who does this very thing for a living. She should have been. I would have gotten her in in a split moment, because she's the perfect solution. There are other solutions too that are great. But one of the solutions that would have made sense would have been to go next door and get my my sister nurse, who seems to be an answer to a prayer, in the very next room. Right. And of course, everybody's panicking, but still, nobody apparently thinks to do the obvious. They don't call 911. And that's either of them. That's actually all three, because Tanner gets woken up too in the process, and he's an adult. So none of the three adults think about, hey, we got a nurse next door. By the way, she's our sister. You know what I mean? And nobody calls 911. And of course, this has been one of the red flags, two of the red flags from the beginning. And we'll find out that the police agree with that. It's pretty obvious that they 
uh, they clued into that from the outset too, when we get to their interview of Hannah. Now, was there anything else that you, Bill, I had a few other notes, but I, I don't want to be monopolizing the conversation about Bonnie Corden. Uh, did you did you sense a different aspect to her personality than what we generally see in general she, conference? She is stonewalling them on the front end of this conversation. Now, again, let's if we're going to be fair, we say, look, she's been doing this for hours and hours at this point. She knows that this kid is in uh, is by her own words. She knows that this kid is either passing away or has passed away. Uh, at least mental function, right? She also. Um, She's also been, she's obviously aware that at this point, the police are beginning to point the finger at somebody that was in that room. Yeah. She said lost. So they, they know. Yeah. yeah. But, but he's still, gone. still on a machine, but yes. Yeah. Um, he's gone. She, they've also been at the hospital for a long amount of time in a tragic, traumatic situation. So I want to give her a little bit of room to be a little feisty, but she is definitely stonewalling them on the front end of the conversation. She's a total hostile witness. This is what it is. Okay, so who are you here with? My family, period. Okay, well, I mean, who do you she mean? Knows. She knows who's that's your what, what they mean. And then yeah. who, who, okay, who's your family? She says, all the people I love. Okay, so who would that be? <laughs> and then enumerate them. Well, you already know all this stuff. And there's a couple of places where she, after that, where she seems to, look, Bonnie's a smart lady. She can answer a question when she wants to answer a question. And so it does stand out to me the two main places, in addition to that, where she seems to studiously avoid answering the question that's been put to her. Agreed. And our audience noticed that as well. Um, noticed that she was doing that. Also noticed uh, certain questions that she specifically was avoiding the discipline question. Yep. Everyone noticed she was going around and around. And there was an interesting um observation made because I, I think one of two things are what i think is happening again this is just my opinion uh is that it's it's not entirely truthful that this kid is that obedient especially at this age um you know the two to three year olds i don't have any uh my my i've been through my niece and nephew going through that age but i know like they're called the terrible twos for a reason it's this yeah. is the age that is uh, well known to not be well behaved so that's my personal opinion but others kind of pointed out that if a kid is abnormally well behaved uh that that could be a sign of abuse that there's a and a, a lot of discipline and that they're uh, scared of it that there's fear involved and i thought that was mm. a good point to make as well well that's the other question she avoided answering was when she was asked about how Derek's parents, i.e. Hannah and Nolan, discipline him. And instead Magically of answering the question, she starts going yeah. on about, oh, he's just so obedient. You know, you never, I never have to do, it's just this whole long thing. It's like she's doing a whole general conference talk on how obedient Derek is without answering the question about his parents disciplining him. Right. And the audience yeah. also noticed the questions about his breathing and the tonsils. Uh, those who are, you know, have been on in the past, they know the, the homicide report and the medical examiner's report was a blunt force trauma. That was the cause of the death, a significant injury. So none of the breathing, anything has to do with that. Of course, at this point, they're still 
you know, if, if he's still on life support, then, you know, obviously he hasn't had the autopsy yet. So there's not a medical examiner's report. So I think the police are trying to hit every angle here. But I just I did want to acknowledge the, you know, our chat audience bringing that yes. up. Yeah. And I will say that there's no ME report. There's no autopsy, but they have uh, already operated on his head in order to relieve the pressure that's being caused by the buildup right. of the blood on the brain. And so the doctors, plural, have noted that there are multiple places where he is bleeding on one side of his head not just one vein giving way but several like four of them together with um uh retinal hemorrhaging yes right. I, if i recall correctly they were i guess uh, now i'm going off of just just my memory because i didn't look into this right before but I, I thought that the medical examiner that we had talked to or that Bill had talked to had said the retinal hemorrhaging could be, uh, could have come after or could have been, yeah. yeah, secondary injury as a result of those other ones. So that might not necessarily have been inflicted directly by whatever caused the other injuries. Yeah. Right. It, All I'm, uh, and I'm only bringing this up to say yeah. that in There's the policeman's, in, yeah, in the policeman's mind who are questioning her and the other two, they already know from talking with the doctors, this is not about difficulty breathing. This is yeah. not about someone who suffocated by accident because of abnormally large adenoids or tonsils yeah. or even a hand over the mouth. Okay. Yeah, That's no. not what happened because this does not cause that. Right. Um, I did want to point out when this, another comment was that NICU nurses are mandated reporters. And yeah. so... I, I don't know the rules of this. Maybe maybe you do RFM in your legal work, but I mean, if it's, I don't know if the jurisdiction has any kind of a play at here or it like it does. Okay. So I, I don't, does that, would that apply to her on a family vacation in a different state where she's not acting as a NICU oh, nurse? I, I expect, I, I don't know what the statutes are, yeah. but I would also say that she wasn't in the room when it happened. And, and so- She's not a, a witness yeah. to it, as far as I can tell. We so didn't I think receive any information from her. All we know yeah, is that yes, her existence Maybe that's there. why. Like if there, yeah. I mean, and even if she wouldn't have to actually report them because of the circumstances, I, there could still be that fear in them. And that maybe could be why they didn't go to her, is a, a well, fear that she would have to report them. And what she does she something. have to report? Police are already involved the following day. They're investigating it. I mean, that's the whole point. The whole point of mandatory reporting. There's nothing left for her to report because the police are there and they're investigating. I don't yeah. see her as really being in violation of any obligation she might have. And they wouldn't know the statute, so maybe they play it again. If you're going to play out all scenarios, you're going to go. Okay, one scenario is that one of them two did harm to the kid. Not saying that that's what happened, but that's one of the possibilities. They wouldn't know the statutes. There's always the possibility they would then play it safe and not share with her. Their, again, we'll get into their reasons as we get further into the audio, but um, Bonnie is the first one to suggest that she take the youngest kids so that Nolan can go to the hospital. Bonnie also tells us that Nolan goes to the hospital with his father, Derek. The police ask later on to verify that. And they say, so Derek drove Nolan to the hospital and she confirms that. Now, you never know in these moments whether Nolan drove or Derek drove and Bonnie's just trying to move through the question and acknowledge the main fact they're trying to get to. But it appears from the way it's answered that Derek, the father, 
of Nolan drives Nolan to the hospital for his kid's emergency. Right. Um, you've already mentioned the discipline. Um, it seems like we sort of mentioned she seems to uh, hesitate when she's asked about the sounds uh, that she heard in the next room. And she acknowledges in this audio, we just heard, she acknowledges hearing the kid that's in the room with them. And she acknowledges hearing the youngest kid who's in the other room. But when she's asked directly, if she heard Derek cry, she seems to, I'm going to say stammer. I don't know if that's the right word, but she seems to hesitate and not really want to answer that. And, um, She's asked if she hears the parents talking. She says, I definitely didn't hear the parents talking. And then she kind of says she didn't hear anything from the kids other, you know, they're just kids. And she kind of seems to kind of, I don't want to say blow the question off, but sort of distance herself from answering it directly of whether she heard Derek or not. I just want to add here something that we learned, I think, from another interview is that the numbers of the rooms had led us before to conclude that they were on opposite sides of the hallway. Yeah. What we find out from another interview is that, no, that's incorrect. They are actually side by side. So you got five people with Bonnie and five people with little Derek, and they're in two suites, and they're side by side, and all that's separating them is an embassy suites hotel room wall. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And, and we're going to find out that according to Hannah, there was screaming and yelling, to use her words, coming from that room, which makes it less easy to believe that Bonnie heard nothing. Especially Do you have that part to play again, by the way, Bill? Uh, I Yeah, I can play that again. Um, it, it'll be very tricky to do. I don't okay. I won't do well, don't, you don't have to be that. That's okay. We got so, lots of other things to go through. Let me say too, it's a little side note, but it was important to me not having any medical understanding. The officers relay to Bonnie that Derek's symptoms from the blunt trauma would have shown up immediately. In other words, the moment in reality, in real life, when he shows up with the symptoms of this trauma, the traumatic event would have happened moments before that because there is, you know, there is some thought that maybe something could have happened earlier in the day, for instance, and that he's just now beginning to respond to a fall that he had or being on a really bumpy ride. And doctors tell the police and the police then tell Bonnie that these symptoms uh, would have been immediate. Um, so there's that. And then um, I think that's, I think that's essentially all I've got for this particular part Oop. maven did you have anything you wanted to add okay guess that's a no all right so which what's the next one you want next one uh, chronologically i believe is going to be hannah okay now this so is give. the interview with her and it's yep. about 45 minutes long so we are going to be speeding it up but hopefully we can crank it up so that we can actually I yeah, uh, hear it. I hope. I, I, we're going to see what happens here. I put it into a different format. So I'm going to add it to the stream. Let's let's do this. Let's put here. Let's add this to the stream. I'm going to push play. And then 
I'm going to move a transcript of Hannah's uh, questioning over. Um, and so give me just a moment. Absolutely. I want to thank Bill and Maven for doing all the heavy lifting with Maven, the technology. Yeah, Maven created this transcript. Uh, I went through and tried to delete a few things that I didn't think were relevant in terms of personal information, but she did a great job of this. All right, so I'm going to play it. This is as loud as it gets. I'm really sorry if it's not, but I'll put the transcript up or, uh, immediately, and uh, I'll make the transcript as big as I can. Today's date is December 9th, 2016. The time is 12.29 hours. This is in reference to case number 2016-111490. Uh, it's about Derek Cordon, white male, date of birth of My name's Detective with the Orange County Sheriff's Office. We're located here at Arnold Palmer Hospital on the second floor in a staff break room. Uh, Derek is located in room 2006. There are several people in the room with me. I'm going to have them introduce themselves. That's County Sheriff's Office. Same as you see. Investigator. Ma'am, can you give us your name and date of birth, please? Yes, my name is Hannah Corden. I'm the mother of Derek Corden, is how it's pronounced. Oh. And my date of birth is. All right. I've asked this before, but I ask you again while we're unrecorded. Is it okay if we record our conversation? Yes. All right. Do me a favor, just make sure you keep answering verbally because there's a couple of times you shook your head yes, and we really don't get that on the visual recorder. I understand. I appreciate it. Um, at any point, if you don't want to talk to us, just let me know. You don't have to talk to us. We appreciate your time. Again, this is your standard protocol for us. Anytime a baby's injured, we come out and we just try to ask questions and, and see what's going on. Okay. Okay. Um, let's kind of start from the beginning with Derek. Um, he is, what, two years and about eight months old? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, does he, ha does he have any medical history? What, what is his medical history? Uh, the only medical history he has is um, uh, he had enlarged adenoids when he was about a year old. Uh, they were restricting his breathing, not enough that we really noticed, but enough that he breathed through his mouth frequently. Um, and so we took him to an ENT uh, to have it diagnosed, and she recommended removing the adenoids, which we then did. Um, during the adenoid procedure, she noticed that his tonsils were also enlarged, but not enough to medically warrant the removal at that time. Uh, but she warned us in the future to look out for similar things where he had difficulty breathing so that we could then get him looked at for the removal of the tonsils. Um, he recovered fairly well. He didn't, we had to stand for a few extra hours because he didn't like the medicine, but he, it was the same day procedure. And that's the only procedure he's ever had in a hospital. It's the only major sickness he's ever had. Um, he has no known allergies to medications and just a happy little kid. Okay. Um... Has he ever exhibited any symptoms to you that makes you believe that he may have some something that hasn't been diagnosed or anything like that? Um, maybe. I don't know. It's Kids all have quirky little things. Um, for Derek, um, some of his quirks would be the snoring. Um, and also, when he gets really excited, he likes, I have to show it physically, but he likes to tense up and shake a little bit. But that's something I do when I get excited, and that's something my whole family does. Uh, the only other thing that would maybe tell me that there's something different about Derek is when he was born. Uh, his birth was a little more traumatic. It, I was induced at term um, and I labored for about 12 hours, um, actively pushing for about three. Then we made zero progress through the birth canal and then his heart started acting erratically. So they recommended the C-section. So he was delivered um, around hour 14 via C-section and he uh, came out not breathing, but that's common for C-section baby. So the NICU nurse had him breathing in less than five minutes. But seriously, other than that, there's nothing different about my son. Well, Nothing to, I guess there's one, but he has been a little delayed developmentally. Um, we first noticed verbally that he was behind his peers. And so, and he was also physically a little behind developmentally. And so his pediatrician in Nebraska recommended um, um, early childhood development interventions, which we did through the school district. 
Um, and in fact, just last month, we finally discontinued the services because he had ca caught up developmentally, uh, physically, and communicative with his peers. So there was a developmental delay. There was a small issue with his birth, and there's ad noise. That's it for my boy. On a routine day-to-day -day basis, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. On a routine day-to-day -day basis, uh, even including yesterday, any problems walking around or standing? No, no, not at all. Communicating, obviously. So there's some things that you're working on, but like he seems like he can communicate things to you verbally and everything. He did. We. He seemed perhaps a little more tired yesterday, mm -hmm. but it's day four of doing a Disney park every day. He still uh, often would run ahead of me, mm -hmm. and he would yell, "Mama, follow, follow, Mama!" And when asked if he enjoyed a ride, he would say yes or no. Uh, when asked if he would ask for, for milk when he was thirsty, he'd ask for food when he was hungry. Um, and at the end of the night, when we were about to leave the park, he was able to verbalize that he was sleepy and wanted to sleep on my shoulder. So he can't, a normal little two-year-old. Sorry. No, no, no. The only other thing I was curious about is if uh, your family history, is there any history of any kind of disease or any diagnosis with your family? Not a lot. Um, that would be like this, at least. I, I have a brother with juvenile onset diabetes, um, a sister with thyroid cancer, and another sister with something called POTS syndrome. But I don't fully understand what it is. It just means she has migraines a lot and has some fainting spells. Um, other than that, the only thing that runs in my family would be like anxiety or depression. That's where the, the shaking when you get excited usually comes from. No bleeding disorders, no, no bone. None. Okay, so um, yesterday you guys were doing all the parks. You were doing one park. Hollywood. Yes, ma'am. You guys got done with that. I understand, understand you stayed for the, the uh, parade. Fantasmic, whatever yeah. thing. When you guys were leaving the park, you, you were carrying him? He wasn't yes. in the stroller? No, nope. I had left the stroller at the wrong entrance. I didn't know. Oh. And so I, his dad carried him next to me until we realized that we were nowhere near the stroller. And then um, we carried Derek around. So I carried him for a little bit, his grandpa for a little bit, his uncle for a little bit until we reached the car, which is when my husband caught up with the stroller. And then we put him in his car seat and we told him, he asked if he could go to the hotel because he was sleepy. And I said, we could, but Papa wanted to get ice cream. Would you rather do ice cream with Papa or hotel for bed? And he said, oh, ice cream, ice cream, Papa. Okay. So that's when we went to Disney Springs as a family to get ice cream. Yeah. Anything happened? Was he up and playing? Was he running around at Disney Springs? We didn't let him run much because it was dark and crowded. So he was in a stroller for most of the time. Uh, but at the ice cream shop, he was out on his own chair sitting next to me. Uh, he. He likes trucks, and so he took the spoon and he put it in backwards so that he could scoop the ice cream out like a friend and loader, and then he'd pick it up and eat the ice cream, and we just shared a Sunday together. Real quick, what, what time did you arrive at Hollywood Studios, approximately? I don't even know. I'm sorry. Uh, Phantasma must have been the last show, so it must have ended around 7.30, so I would think we're at Disney Springs. If I had to say, I'd say around 8 p.m., but I don't know for sure. Okay, so you think you arrived at Disney Springs about 8 o'clock? I, I don't know. About. Okay, and how long did you say? Long enough to walk from the orange parking garage all the way to Gear Deli to eat an ice cream sundae and then to get the boys all the way back because they were very tired. That's a long walk. I've been out there. It is. <laughs> a long walk. It is. But they were both in the stroller. Okay. Okay. Then you so you just stayed along enough to eat ice cream when you guys left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that was going to do the same thing. You didn't go into any of the stores or anything? Not a single one. I thought about it, but my baby's was especially honored, and it's easier for him just to go straight to bed. So we went straight back to the car. Where'd you guys go after that? So after that, um, my husband and I decided to try and not spend too much money in the park that day. So we had decided to just get McDonald's on the way home. So we stopped at McDonald's right outside of Disney Springs on the state highway. Um, and we ordered a meal for Derek and a meal for me and a meal for my husband, Nolan, through the drive-thru. And we took that straight back to our hotel, the Embassy Suites, um, off of Lake Street in Orlando. Uh, from there, we got the boys out of the car. Uh, I carried Derek and some of the food until we were to the sidewalk and then he was just too heavy. So I asked if he could walk and he said, sure. So he and I walked into the hotel and once we were inside and away from the cars, 
I asked if he wanted to push the elevator button, and he said, yes, mama. So he ran ahead, and he pushed the elevator button, and then we all got on the elevator and went to our room to eat. Was Tanner still with you guys at this point? Yeah, Tanner was still with us. Okay, so you guys went into the hotel room. About what time was that when you guys got back, you think? Oh, it's probably closer to 9 by that day. It was later than I usually keep my boys up. Which right. McDonald's did you go to? Uh, it's the one right across from Disney Springs. It's on, I believe... What is this one? I don't know the name. On the GPS, it called it State Highway something. And oh, we just went up one more block and turned on the Palm. So it was between Disney Springs and Palm Street. Okay. Okay. So you guys got back to the hotel about nine. Mm-hmm. And that's where the boys ate. They didn't eat in the car. No, no. So as soon as we got home, um, I said pajama time because they both had poopy diapers. So I, me and my husband took Derek into the bedroom, and we changed both of their diapers into nighttime diapers, and we changed their clothes into pajamas. And we thought about giving them a bath because they were covered in dirt from playing in Woodbark at Hollywood, but we thought it was too late. And so then we went into the family room of Embassy Suites, and Nolan and Derek sat at the table to eat, and I just ate standing up next to him. And Tanner had the fold-out bed, so we gave him the BBC to play with on the bed right next to us, three feet away, while we all ate dinner. Okay. So this, this the room in the Embassy Suites, there's a door that separates the bedroom from the yes. living area? In, in all Embassy Suites we've stayed at, when you open your room, it's first a living room uh, with a bathroom and the mini bar and the sink and everything, and then there's a door, and then there's a bedroom with two queen-size beds. Okay. So basically, uh, Tanner had his own room out yeah. in that front room. Yeah, I, I just preferred to have the boys closer to me, so that's how we worked it out. Okay. Um, so you guys uh, sat at the table, well, the boys sat at the table at 8, you ate, and then you put them to bed. What, what time do you think that was? Did you get done with all that? About 9.30, 9.40 at that point. Okay. You just put them to, in the bed next to you? Does it sleep in the bed? No, so um, my, my baby is still nurses, and so Derek, Nolan, and I all went into the bedroom, and we closed the door, I think, at that point, because Tanner wanted to change. No, he changed earlier. I'm sorry. He changed when we put their pajamas on. So we just went in and closed the door, and I sat on my bed, and I nursed baby while Nolan sat on the bed right next to us with Derek and read him his bedtime stories and said his bedtime prayers. Um, and then he tucked Derek in, and he didn't fall asleep right away, but he was quiet, just kind of wrestling around and asked Mama. I was like, no, it's bedtime. And once he finished nursing, um, he had a travel crib provided by the hotel in the room, and so I laid him down. And uh, we found he just better if I stay in the room, so he knows he's not alone. So I just went and laid down on my bed right next, right across that little gap from Derek um, and in the same room as as well until she stopped crying and fell asleep. And then was asleep and I could hear Derek snoring and I was sleepy too. So I thought I'd just stay in. And I know my husband came in soon after, I guess. I, he woke me up when he came in, but I don't think it had been too long until he came in. And then we all slept. Do you know where he went? Did he stay in the room? Did he go out somewhere? I, I was asleep. You'll have to ask him. I assume he was just getting ready for bed in the bathroom, brushing his teeth, doing all of that. So you don't really know the time frame from when you lay down from when he actually came in. It could have been five minutes, it could have been an hour. Exactly. I'm guessing five minutes, so it didn't feel long. Okay. So he, he came in, you heard him come in, he got in bed, and you guys fell back to sleep, you fell back to sleep and he fell asleep or something? Yes. Nothing else? You didn't hear anything else going on? The no. boys were both sleeping? Derek was snoring, but as we told the doctors, his snoring had gotten progressively worse over the last couple of weeks. It wasn't even days, it's been weeks that his breathing's gotten more labored at night. So we didn't think anything of it other than to make a mental note to get it checked when we get back home. So you fall back asleep. What wakes you up? Derek woke me up with a scream. Okay. And it sounded to me like he had had a, a bad dream. He started to get annoyed recently. And we were afraid he would wake up. It would then take forever to get back to bed. So we just say, Derek, be quiet. We're going to wake up. So I hopped out of bed and went over and I picked him up so I could comfort him. Because maybe it was just a new place. And I picked him in my arms and he was still making lots of noise, like a screaming kind of noise, and like <laughs> hyperventilating almost. 
And I thought it was because he was so scared. So I kept saying, Derek, it's okay. Mama's here. Mama's here. But he was so loud. He couldn't, I didn't think he could hear me. He was so loud. And so I gently put my hand over his mouth just to quiet him a little bit. So I could say in his ear, Mama is here. And as soon as I did that, he didn't breathe. And I, I remember because his adenoids, I'm very conscious of his breathing. And he didn't breathe through his nose. And so I immediately took my hand off and I yelled, breathe, Derek, breathe. And all he could do was those gasps. <laughs> And so I yelled at Dad, Nolan, because he had just gotten the baby who had woken up. He can't breathe, Nolan, he can't breathe. And he and I, I don't know who, one of us turned on the lamp and we saw him and he was just struggling, but his eyes weren't looking at me. He wasn't, he didn't look panicked. He was just in my arms, not breathing. And so I just thought, it's his tonsils. If we hold him upright, he'll catch his breath and it'll be all right. And Nolan said, what should we do? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we get into the hospital? And I said, no, it's just his tonsils. Just hold, <laughs> just hold him upright. I can hold him, I'll make him better. But Nolan said, honey, no, he's not. We need to take him. And so I had my husband hold Derek while I put on my clothes. And I packed the diaper bag with his favorite things because I remembered how boring the hospital was for him. And I wanted to make sure I had his truck and his favorite book while we waited for whatever we needed to wait for. And as soon as I had those things, Nolan and I left the room and we walked into the living room where Tanner was asleep. And Tanner, my husband yelled, Tanner, wake up. We're going to the hospital. Watch the baby. And Tanner woke up. I don't even remember seeing him say anything. But I remember him saying, what, what? And that was, that was it, right? So we went to the elevator. We went down to the front desk and I was trying to say, where's the hospital? But when I get scared, I can't yell very loud. So he couldn't hear me. And so my husband had to say, the hospital, where is the hospital? And I, at that point, could just say, my baby can't breathe. I need to go. And so he said, it's just three miles away. You go to the stop site and you turn right. And it's three miles up the road on your left. It's very close. And so because it was close, my husband and I ran to the car and we buckled Derek into his car seat. And Nolan said, I'm going to go take care of like Get him to the hospital. And so I left the parking lot. And as soon as I turned, it was, a, I can remember, it was a 45 mile an hour road. So I thought 65 would be safe enough. And so I drove and there wasn't much traffic. And I would just tell Derek, breathe, breathe, baby. And he would take a couple of gasps. And every time he did, I tried to look to see where we were because I didn't know how to explain how long he'd been having these issues. And uh, the last breath was just one gasp. And it was right at this resort with, I don't know if it's Gate West or West Gate. Um, but then very soon after I saw a sign for an emergency room on the left. And so I pulled into there and I pulled into the drive-through at the hospital and I ran around to get him out and I couldn't yell again. So I was just saying, help me, my baby can't breathe, help me. And they looked at me a little funny cause I was so quiet. <laughs> but when they saw me struggle to get him out and his lips were all blue, they knew right away and I had people come take him and yell cold code blue as we walked into the emergency room and he was immediately surrounded by doctors and nurses and, and they asked when was the last time this baby was alive and I didn't know at that point that he wasn't alive so all I could say was that he took his last breath at Westgate and that I tried to get there as soon as I could but I still thought it was his tonsils that made it so he couldn't breathe and I just thought it's like a swimming pool, right? Like, I got there soon. He just had a breath. He just had a breath. I should be okay. And all the nurses said, you're right. These kids are resilient. Are you not here so fast? 
But then eventually they came and they said they gave him a CT scan and it wasn't his breathing. It was his brain. What did they tell him about his brain? They said on the CT scan it showed a significant brain clot. How did that happen? Um, I don't know. I asked them. And they said it usually happens when a baby hits his head very hard, like in a car accident. Did anything like that happen? Well, we know it happened. Where did it happen? I don't know. I didn't see it. Okay. I miss being such a bad mom. Then no, no, no. I looked, I thought, and I thought that he didn't fall out of the stroller and he didn't fall onto the concrete. He didn't go on any rides that day except for the Toy Story ride twice, which whips your head a little bit between padded harness seats. And that's nothing. It's Disney. And so I don't know. I, with, I even, with the injury that he has, it yes. would have been more immediate. It would have been something that happened in the room. What happened in the room? The only thing there, there's a wooden headboard. When you put him down, it was in the other bed? Yes, yes. Was he by himself? Yes. Okay. When you woke up, was he in the same spot you put him down? Yes. Okay. Maybe he shifted a few inches. Was he covered up? I don't know. I don't remember. I want to back up a little bit because you mentioned something about him wrestling around. I want to get some clarification on that. Before he fell asleep, you said he was wrestling around. Can you describe mm, that? Yes, that's a, that's a poor word in my court because... It was shifting more than wrestling, more trying to find a comfortable spot. Like a dog walks around a lot. My Derek sometimes takes time to turn around. Okay. He'll lay him down on his back and he likes to turn completely onto his stomach and then onto his back and then onto his stomach and then shift his head here and shift his head there and then he'll fall asleep on his tummy. So he did that and he did it maybe a little more than normal. But we had pumped him so full of sugar. I just assumed it was a sugar high and he was having a hard time getting comfortable. Okay, so no one was wrestling with him? No, Okay. no, there was no physical wrestling with Derek. Okay, sorry, when, when Thank you, you saw him, come in or Tanner hadn't come in and climbed in the bed with him? No. It was just him in the bed by himself? Just Derek. Tanner was in his own room still. Is that the uh, sleeping arrangement that's been the whole week? Yes. Okay. What was Noel, uh, Noel doing when you woke up? Sleeping next to me. So he was asleep when uh, Derek screamed? Yeah. I woke up first. That's usually how it happens. He woke up pretty soon, like almost immediately after, but I just seemed to do better to those those kinds of things. You have a phone? I do. Okay. Why didn't you call 911? Because... I didn't think properly in the moment. I thought I could fix my boy. I didn't realize how serious it was. I simply thought if I could calm him down, he would breathe mm -hmm. and we would be fine. And I could take him to an instant care to save money. It was just such a stupid thought, but that's what I thought. I thought I'll calm him down and everyone's right. He needs, he needs help. I'll take him to the instant care. We'll get him checked out. And if it's really serious, they'll send us to the ER and they'll know what to do. Okay. And you're- But you're right. There was a phone right there on the table next to us. He could have called if I had thought better. And what profession is Heather in? Heather would be my sister-in-law. That's Nolan's sister. Mm -hmm. uh, she is a registered nurse. Uh, in the past, she's worked for the uh, NICU, the, the newborn intensive care unit in Salt Lake City. Uh, she currently works just one day a week as a home health nurse. Okay, and she was in the room next door? Yeah, so she was, um, yeah. Why didn't you go over there and ask her for help? Of everyone that was mm -hmm. there, she could have done something. I mean, you're not a nurse, are you? No, or no. Or a doctor? I've gone through um, my certified nursing assistant training, and I am a physical therapy aide, but she is much more qualified than I am. Why didn't you go over and ask her for help? Panic in the moment. Did you administer CPR or try to administer CPR or any type of... Uh... No, because he was still breathing. He was okay. gasping, but he was breathing. And I've always thought rescue breathing and CPR is for when the breathing or the pulse stops. And I didn't even think to check a pulse because he was breathing, rough but breathing. One other thing real quick. I know you mentioned you put your hand over his mouth. And I, I, kinda, I just drew a rough diagram of a, a little face mm -hmm. just so you can kind of show us what you're talking about. Can you show me I can. What, what exactly you did? So I had him in my arms. His I'm head was here. Next to you, right. Yeah. So his head was here. Mm -hmm. 
and his body was in my arms. Mm -hmm. Well, not my arms, he was, body was right here. Right. And he was hyperventilating. So I was saying, Barry, calm down, mama is here. And he wasn't responding to me at all. And it was so loud that I said, Barry, mama is here. So you were trying to silence the noise, the screaming? So that he could hear me. I didn't know. I thought he was still stuck in a night terror. Okay. Have you ever seen a little boy who's caught in a dream and doesn't know it? Mm -hmm. I thought he was caught in the dream still, and that if he could hear me, he would know that it was not real, that it was just a dream. So the way you're sitting, it doesn't make sense. But from where I was, it just felt natural. When when you first heard Derek screaming, where uh -huh. was he? He was in his bed. He was in his bed. Was he laying on his back or laying on his side or face down? I don't even remember. Okay, and you're saying that uh, Nolan was asleep next to you? Yes. Okay. If, if you don't mind, um, I'm just gonna be frank with you. You're, you seem like a very smart person. I can tell that you you care a lot about your baby. Obviously. Okay, that's not a question in my mind. But after consulting with the uh, medical professionals here, yes, something happened to Derek. Okay. Okay. And you know what happened to him? And I understand that you're scared, and probably a lot of thoughts are going through your mind. But you can't expect me to believe that. You don't know what happened to your little boy. I'm not sitting here trying to suggest that you intentionally or anyone intentionally tried to hurt him, mm -hmm. but something traumatic happened to his head that caused his brain to start bleeding. Right. And, and we need to know what that is, okay? I'm not trying to suggest that you in any way or anyone else intentionally hurt that little boy. But something happened to him. And it wasn't a breathing issue, okay? I'm not a doctor, but I know that I, I've, I've seen people that snore. I snore, okay? But something, something hit his head. Something happened to his little head. What was that? I do not know. So you're you're starting. You, yes. You, you're saying that you were sleeping in the bed next to your little boy. Mm -hmm. You heard him scream. Yes. And we're he suffered a severe head injury. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to you're, you you expect us to believe that you don't know what happened to him? It doesn't make any sense. I wish it did. I do not know, and it doesn't make sense to me. And everything that happened afterward just doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. And. I understand that in the heat of the moment, it's you're panicking. Yes. You've got a lot of things going through your mind. Your little boy's in some sort of medical distress. You don't, you don't know what to do. This is what I believe. I believe that something, I know that something happened to him and you panicked. Okay. Because first of all, being a father myself, there is no way that anyone, including my wife or anyone, is taking my little boy without me being there. If I got to wake up the one-year-old, he's coming with. He's coming with. And we're gonna go to the hospital. I'm gonna be right there. Something happened in there. Something happened whether he, whether, whether someone got upset and accidentally hit him or caused him to fall, I don't know. That's why we need you. I don't think that you, anyone wanted this to happen, but something happened to him and we need to know. We need to know so we can talk to the doctors so that they can do their best to treat him. Do you, do you want the best treatment for your little boy? I know you do. I can see it in your face. I do. Which is why I've told you everything that I know that happened. And I have felt the same things you're asking about. And I have no answers. I do not know what happened to my little Derek's head. I do not know, but I want to know. You do too. We do too. I don't want to be rude, but I do want to know how much longer this will take. Not much longer. I would like to check on my son. Not much longer. We really would like to get to the bottom of this. 
it's not. I, You're I asking wasn't... for things I don't know, which makes me feel like I should be with my son because I don't know what you want to know. You're a smart girl. You know that your little boy being in the room, you know that something that traumatic doesn't happen and someone not know something about it. Right. Why would I not hear it? I don't know. I woke up to his scream. I don't what know. What did you when... see when you woke up? Something cost him to scream. What was it? I don't know at this point. What did you see? What did you see when you woke up? Who else was in the room with him? Who else was in the room? It's just my family. I heard Who? I heard my husband. I heard me. I heard Derek and I heard it's just my family. And what were what were they saying that you heard? What was it? Derek was yelling. Um Sam was starting to roll because of the yell. Mm -hmm. And my husband was saying, What what? Don't wake the baby. So is it possible then that someone grabbed him and he fell? Trying to trying to get him to be quiet when you picked him up, did he fall? No. So you, when you picked him up and put him in your arms, I scooped him into my arms, and he didn't fall. No, I would have noticed that. You wouldn't. You would have noticed. I that, would right? have. I would have noticed if he'd fallen. I scooped okay. him into my arms. Well, you're in a strange place. It's dark. You're panicked, and you go to pick him up. Things happen. You turn. There's something there that's not usually there. Did you hit his head on anything when you were moving around trying to get him to wake up? No. No, I didn't. Did anybody else? No. Did anyone hit him? No. Did he fall at any point? No. No. I'm trying, I really am trying to think through it all. Okay, well, here, again, this isn't just going to happen. The baby's not going to be laying in the bed, with his head on a pillow, and then his head is going to start to bleed. Mm -hmm. Something happened that caused that. Well, we've been told this isn't something from uh, a vessel just bursting. This, this is something from being dead. This is from trauma. Whether it was like, uh, he said, an accident or whatever, we just got to figure out what happened. Him laying in bed and just waking up screaming doesn't. I appreciate that. I appreciate your job, but I have no more information to give you. What were you and Nolan arguing about? Arguing. I, I could tell that there was some tension uh, at, at the earliest at the McDonald's because of finances. And I understand. Oh, that's me. I just, Nolan's family likes to spend more money at Disney than I'm used to. And so that was the argument that we had a budget of $100 per day for food and other things. And we had gone over almost every day. And so no one agreed with me. Like we, we know what our budget is. We know what we can afford. And on this trip, we skipped dinner with the family today because we couldn't afford the place stage. But that wasn't friction between my husband and I. We Who got was that friction well. between them? Was there friction? Well, the way you said it, that would indicate there was friction between somebody over this. Was it with his mother? No, no. I'm trying to think back to it all. Can't even remember. All I can think about is my Derek. Can we be done soon? Absolutely. I really want to go back to him. Absolutely. You're, listen, you're free to go back to your little boy anytime that you want to. All we're here to do is to understand what happened to him. I mainly so we can talk to that. mainly so we can talk. There's a doctor sitting right there. Someone that has hands-on treatment with your little boy. And it makes a big difference whether he fell or whether someone accidentally hit him or something. You can agree because you've heard the facts. You've heard that something happened to his head. Even at, at, at Dr. Phillips Hospital where you went, they said that there was some sort of trauma to his brain. Yes, they did. Okay. That wasn't simply a breathing issue. Right. We need, we need you to help us understand what happened. There. I need you to understand how completely blindsided I was to hear it was his brain. Because I have thought and I have thought and I have thought. And I cannot remember at any time him falling or getting whacked or hitting anything. But I'd like this to be over now. Okay. 
One last thing. Do, do you swear or affirm everything you told us is true and accurate to the best of your knowledge? Absolutely. 100%. Okay. Is there anything that we haven't asked you about that you think we would want to know? None. Do you guys have something specific you'd like to ask her? Do you mind if I stop the recording? Do you have anything specific you want to ask her medically? Yeah. Can I ask you like two questions real quick? Two would be fine. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm a future student, Arnold Palmer. Okay. Uh, I have a great property protection team. So, what I want to ask you is these screaming, these screaming attacks, or these, has he done those before? Has he done those before? Twice in the last month. Um, the first one, he thought there were bugs in his bed. Okay. And the second one, he thought there was a beetle in his bed. Okay. Um, both times, I, I was the one that woke up, um, and I was the one that went to his room, and I got him out of his bed, and I rocked him in the rocking chair. Um, and both times, he asked for milk. He likes to soothe himself by drinking milk. And so both times, I gave him milk and sang him songs. And then I walked with him to the crib, and I told those bugs and those beetles to get out. And I asked him if they did. He said they were gone, and he went to bed, and that was it. So did he recognize you right away when you came up to him? Um, or was he sort of like out of it where he didn't recognize you right away? The first time, the first time he was still freaking out. But the second time, I think it took me longer to get there. Uh, when we're in Utah, my where I sleep on my bed, to get to there, I have to get out of bed and around the bed, out the door, across the hallway, into his room, into the corner where his crib is. And so there's a distance there. But here in the hotel, there wasn't that distance. And so I just assumed I had gotten there before he could really shake out of it. Yeah, so he said that happened a couple times before. And, and you're talking about that he snores. Does he... Yeah, I'm sure you know the word apnea. Does he when he snores? Does he just sort of snore, or does he get to the point where he, you know, does that also besides snoring? When he was a little before the ad noise, he did the apnea thing. Did the apnea thing. We just didn't know how to recognize it okay. until after the fact. They they said in the in the recovery room, "Did you know your son has sleep apnea?" And we were like, "We know what sleep apnea is. We didn't know he had it." And they described it. And we're like, "Oh yeah, but everyone says infants breathe noisy." Yeah. So we have our pediatrician always just said, "Oh, he's just breathing. He's a noisy infant breather." Okay. And once they took his ad noise out. You said that he still has been snoring? It went away when he first signed out. Okay. In fact, it made us really nervous. We used to be able to go to the closed door and to hear him sleeping. But when they went out after it all healed, we couldn't hear him breathing from the door. We had to actually go into the crib to listen to him. And, and that kind of scared us for a while. We've been so used to being able to hear him anywhere in the house. So right now he doesn't have any more apnea? Not that I've noticed, just the snoring. And just one more question. When, you, when, when he was screaming and you had him in your arms, you were demonstrating to, to the detective there. Yeah, when uh, I did. How long, how long did your hand stay over his mouth over there? Um, I know it's a hard question. Yeah. You're fine. I know I said, Derek, could you type it for me? Because I really don't know. Sure. Okay, ready? Say. Yeah. Derek, Derek, listen, it's mama, it's mama. Off. Okay, five seconds. Okay. <laughs> oh, I did that. Okay. Sorry. That would have caused the, uh, the black. <laughs> but all my little boy knows is that I didn't listen. I covered his mouth and yelled at him. And you think his body was moving during that time when you were holding my dad? It felt very rigid, which was weird. Uh, still moving, but rigid. Does that make sense? Um, not relaxed, very tense, okay. I would say. So his body was rigid? Yeah. Has he ever had a seizure? Not that I know of. Anybody in your family ever had seizures? No, not seizures. Was his head rigid, or was his head moving around a lot during that time? Do you remember? I thought his head was moving, but I don't know for sure. My husband might remember. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm going to go ahead and end the recording at... Oh, oh, yes. oh sorry. Um, Can I limit you to two? Yeah, that's fine. Thank um, you. Just to my name is Shannon Dixon. I'm the Department of Defense. I'm her acting supervisor. Um, I just wanted to ask you um, about... Uh, you mentioned about a primary care physician. Yes. Um, who do you guys see for uh, the church primary care physician? So we moved from Nebraska in January. And in Nebraska, I had the most wonderful pediatrician, Vicki Herman. What's the name? Vicki Herman. V-I-C-K-I. Herman is H-E-R-R-M-A-N, mm -hmm. and she worked at Boys Town Pediatrics on 72nd Street, okay. and she was wonderful. We had her ever since Derek was born. 
But when we moved, I had to find a new pediatrician. Um, and I had only taken Derek in twice to the doctor. And the first time I didn't like the pediatrician. And so the second time I asked for a new pediatrician, but I, I didn't really like her either. And so I don't even remember either of their names. They just worked at the same office. And this is back in Utah? In Utah, in Springville, Utah. What's the name of the Oh, it's um, Canyon View Medical something. It's close to our home. It's on 400 North on Main Street in Springville, Utah. Uh, the first girl we saw, I think her name was Jessica. She was a, a nurse practitioner probably, but she was on maternity leave and I didn't love her anyway. So we asked for a new one. And I don't even remember her name. I'm no, sorry. Nice question for you. Um, and this is just something standard we ask um, in a case like this, and I think we're coming at you any kind of way. Um, would you be willing to submit to a drug screen for the department? Yes. You would yes. Um, Colleen May is going to go with you and, and allow you to do a drug screen. I'll say that I can't go in the women's restroom. That's right. But she'll go in there and do that with you. And there's just some forms you have to sign real quick before you go back in and have a good time. Okay? Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Can we do that right now? So we can have it All right. It's 1350. Really stopping the recording. <laughs> okay. So I've got about. Eight <laughs> notes on this, and I don't want to take away everything. Hey, Maven. Yeah, uh, I just have a couple. The live chat. Yeah, uh, Bill, you want to go first on this one? Let me do it. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to get into sharing a bunch of things that in kind of affect what you did. I'll, I'll note a couple things. One is that she, when she's holding her kid, this will be sort of important later. She notes that the kid is very rigid. Um. I think that's of note because I think there's another piece of evidence that runs with that same story. So mm. uh, that he is rigid. Um, she claims that baby Derek had caught up with his peers developmentally while Bonnie claims he was still stunted and could only say single words to describe his thoughts. He's a two and a half year old, two year, eight month old. I've got a three year old grandson who talks in full sentences, I would say full paragraphs, essentially. Um, there seems to be a little bit of a, 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 a um, what's the word I want to use? A contradiction, but a seeming contradiction in that, in that description. Um, money was tight. Hannah says that her husband was determined not to spend much money. Um, and that such seemed emotional for her. Uh, Hannah, Hannah says she yelled at Nolan when he was already upholding the younger brother and we'll see by the reenactment later that that sort of seems to be reiterated by Hannah when she physically acts out what happened. Hannah says that Nolan suggested going to the hospital, that she doesn't want to take him to the hospital in spite of Derek suggesting that such was likely needed. Um, I'll say this. Hannah sounds very intelligent. She sounds very articulate. She sounds very confident in what she's saying. If I were a, a member of a jury, I would want to believe her. I, I really see the way she's coming across as being believable. That doesn't take away from the fact that there are seeming contradictions at times in these stories. Um. And then I guess I'll I'll just finish off and I'll leave you maybe to say some things and Maven to say some things and then I'll pick up whichever ones haven't been said. But I'll say she doesn't know where the hospital is. She, they're asking for directions in the lobby and yet her and this kid are put into a car and she's told to drive off and go find it, even though she's been given directions and they're relatively simple. But in a moment like this, it's so easy to think to yourself, did he say right? Did he say left? Did he say three minutes or three miles? And what if he gets it wrong? I mean, the guy who's giving you directions, what if you understood them wrong? 
How many There's times so many have you gone to a gas station? Yeah, how many times have you gone to a gas station and asked directions and they just weren't right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, people will stop me and ask for directions when I'm walking along the street, and sometimes I'll intentionally give them the wrong you know, directions just for a laugh. But that's just me. One other thing, too. She says that Derek was yelling as well. Yes. There's a moment where she says Derek is yelling, and I just want to note that as well. There's a lot of noise going on in that room from the way she describes it with with Derek, with her. Uh, there's a lot of noise going on, and we know that the other members of the family, including Bonnie, are just on the other side of a wall. So really quick here. Let me take them off, okay? Number one, when the police are busy telling her that – you know, you don't have to talk to us. You can leave anytime you want. What they're really saying is we don't have to read you your Miranda warnings. So that's what they're doing. Miranda applies only to custodial interrogations as long as they make it clear to a person that they can leave anytime they want. That door is open. You can walk out anytime you want. It's not custodial, so you don't have to read Miranda rights. And police tend to not want to read Miranda rights unless they absolutely have to because they don't want to say, hey, you know, you have the right to remain silent. It also sounds like you're really a suspect. And it's obvious that it's they are focusing flag. their suspicions on her. Well, I'm sorry, what, Maven? I was just saying it's a huge flag uh, to the person, to the suspect that, or, you know, that you're questioning that uh, that they're in trouble. So it's understandable why they would want to avoid it when they legally can do that. Yeah. Number two, uh, the irony, uh, the, the award for the most ironic statement which is when she has a child, Derek, who is two years, eight months old, who cannot breathe. And she's panicking about it. And her sister-in-law, Nolan's sister, is in the next room, who is not just an RN, she is a NICU nurse, okay? They never contact her. The ironic part about it is she describes when Derek was born, C-section, could not breathe when he was born. And she says, thank goodness that there was a NICU nurse there who got him breathing in about five minutes. My mind almost exploded when I saw that statement or heard that statement. I thought, oh my gosh, at a minimum, this has got to be the most ironic statement in the world. And perhaps even a little bit more than that. With that history, I mean, we're talking about the same kid. This is Derek. Who now can't breathe, just like when he was born. His life is saved by a NICU nurse. There's a NICU nurse next door. It's just, it becomes more difficult to understand why this didn't click with anybody. Okay, so that's number two. And let me add to that one, which is the way she describes her sister-in-law and the way that she describes the nurse who helped her kid when her kid was born. It shows me, it tells me that she really has a very solid understanding of what a NICU nurse is, what they do, what their job, you know, curtail. Like she, she understands this side of the medical field, at least in terms of labels and uh, skill set very well. Number three, there is a door in the suite. For whatever it's worth, it's a fact that's important, I think. Because we looked at the, the diagram last time. We didn't think there was a door. There's no door mentioned, but there is apparently a door that closes between the living room where Tanner is sleeping and the bedroom. Okay. I think that's probably significant. Number four. The same thing that the officer noted. 
which is early on, it may not be the first time she cries. It's the first time she cries that I noticed. It's when she's talking about the budget that they're on. $100 a day. Okay, so Nolan's family is loaded. They're multimillionaires. For whatever reason, Hannah and Nolan are on a $100 a day budget, which they are going to abide by on this day, which is going to cause them to separate for dinner from the other members of the family who've gone on to a nicer restaurant. That's why they go to McDonald's. That's why they're sneaking snacks into the park to eat so they don't have to you know, pay these inflated prices at Disneyland for food. All of it understandable, but interesting that she gets emotional about it. And where is this imposition of this budget coming from and why? And why does she become emotional about it? It's a question that's never answered. The, the cop suspects or at least asks, is it from your mother-in-law? Is it from Bonnie? Mm, it never really gets answered. Okay, so that's something I noticed. Number five. One of the things that drove me crazy when I was listening to this interview was that here is Derek who is in such distress. He's not breathing. He's not breathing. She is crying. But now she's talking about packing his bag to take him to the hospital. And I, she makes a point of saying, I packed his favorite truck and put it in the bag and his favorite book and put it in the bag so that when we got to the hospital... He'd have something to do so he wouldn't be bored. I'm just going, get the kid to the hospital. That's what I'm yelling as I'm listening to this. Why this delay in such a situation where you've obviously gone to DEFCON 1, the way she describes it, and rightfully so. Why are you, what is going on here? There are other people who can bring things later. I mean, job one is to get this kid some care, I would think. And get it as quickly as possible. So that drove me crazy. Number six. Um, oh, yeah. Nolan, as they're heading out, he yells at Tanner to wake up, take care of the, the other baby, right? According to her story, she's yelling. Uh, initially, at least, D little Derek is screaming. There's huge commotion going on. On their way out, Tanner's yelling. Excuse me. Nolan is yelling at Tanner. Get up, take care of the baby. And yet, according to Bonnie, she doesn't hear anything. Except baby noises. Except baby noises. It becomes more and more difficult to believe. Maybe it's true. I don't know. It's just when so much is going on, on just the other side of one motel room door. I don't care if it's Embassy Suites or wherever. Okay. So, number seven. Oh, yeah. Derek is dead by the time she gets him to the hospital. His lips are blue. He has breathed his last, his last breath that uh, apparently was done on his own before he got hooked up to the ventilator. And the nurses ask, when was the last time this baby was alive? The take I'm getting on this is that he has passed away. That was his last breath on the way to the hospital and then his lips are blue they put him on the ventilator system he's just he's a machine is breathing for him there's really not a whole lot i mean brain activity unlikely i don't know 
but it seems like he's gone at that point. And the decision is simply made by the family about 24 hours later or so to remove him from the machine. And finally, we're going to get into this a little bit more later. She comes up with this story, okay, about Instacare. It's a direct response to the question asked of her, why didn't you call 911? And she starts talking about, you know, the concerns about money. We thought, I thought we'd take him to Instacare, which I guess is like an urgent care kind of, you know, a little bit less than a hospital, not as expensive. And if it's, if he's really bad, then we'll take him from there to the hospital. All of that makes sense, except for the fact that there is no place in what she describes them doing. And there's no place in what she describes as happening that fits that motive. What I mean is this. If she really thinks that they're going to take Derek to Instacare first, at what point does that plan get put into effect? At what point does she do anything that sounds like it is in furtherance of that plan? Nowhere. Right. It's hospital, 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 even when she's packing the bag so that he won't be bored at the hospital. Right. There is no place where the story or the explanation of Instacare first, then hospital is enacted in what she describes as what they do. And, and let me say, this is to your credit, RFM, and you feel free to just cut me off and take over and explain it because I want to make sure that it's said, but it's your idea. So when we talked um, last night, you were telling me like, hey, I'm hearing, I'm hearing what appears to be two storylines running next to each other. And what I'm hearing when I hear Hannah is there's moments where she says, for instance, that he's breathing roughly. And there are moments where she says he's not breathing. Here's another one, which I think is a big one. And I think it comes into deep play later on. Hannah is asked, quote, you fall back asleep. What wakes you up? And then she's about to tell when the actual crisis moment hits. She says, quote, Derek woke me up with a scream and it sounded to me like he had a bad dream. He started to get them only recently and we were afraid he'd wake up the younger brother. We were afraid he'd wake up so-and-so. We would then take forever to get back to bed. Oh, sorry. Who would then take forever to get back to bed? So we were saying, Derek, be quiet. Then I got up. What do you make of that, Bill? It, it, I, I don't want to say anything yet. I want the yeah. audience to understand the point clearly. Both, both according to Hannah's testimony, Hannah and Father Nolan are in the bed. Hannah and her husband are in the bed. Hannah wakes up to a scream. And she says that we, meaning her and Nolan, couldn't be anybody else. We were afraid that he'd wake up the younger kid who would then take forever to get back to bed. So we were saying, Derek, be quiet. Then I got up. She's in the bed and as for, they're both in the bed for the entire time that takes place. And she indicates 
that both her and Derek were conscious, awake, aware that the crying might wake up the younger sibling, and they together told Derek to be quiet. Okay. Right. Thanks for underscoring that. So we compare it with uh, the interview with uh, Nolan that's coming yep. up. What What is it, Bill? A couple other things. He, she says that Derek was so loud she couldn't. She didn't think he could hear her. You're consoling your kid, and your kid is so loud that you don't think you, right next to his ear, are being heard. That I think is significant. So she has to raise her voice accordingly. This is a lot of noise going on in that room. And again. Think about all this sort of noise and then compare it with the testimony of others in this situation who are sharing their thoughts. Okay. Um, hey, since you brought that up, yeah. um, did you have anything else? I, I'm going to, if it's okay with you, Bill, take a little bit of time to just go into that Instacare thing, if that's okay, before can we I, listen to Nolan and maybe I want to add to you. that. Yeah, would you? So uh, for the Instacare thing, this is what I was thinking, and maybe they don't have a lot of experience with it, but I, I know in the they're usually only open in the day, at least out here in Utah. Maybe it's different in Florida, but I remember um, I had a significant um, health issue in the middle of the night, and I did not have insurance at the time. And so I was working at the time because I worked night shifts, and I was trying to hold out until 8 a.m. when the next Instacare would open. And I wasn't able to, uh, the, the pain was too great. I was doubling over. So I, I, I knew I wouldn't be able to drive myself. So I ended up going to the hospital about 4 a.m. And so like, that's because I knew like the Instacares are really, they're daytime things. So I, if that's something that they normally do in emergencies, I, I don't know. I think she should know that. So that was all that I wanted to point out is that Instacares are, it, this is all happening in the middle of the night. There's not going to be an Instacare open if they actually, you know, were, were wanting to do that. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then, yeah, I'll, you, you could go into the Instacare stuff. And then I just had a couple other points about like the budgeting and, and some of the comments, but we can go after the Instacare Yeah, I would stuff. like to do that. But Instacare, just to put the fine point on what that insight that came to me last night when we were talking on the phone, Bill, this whole Instacare thing just stuck at, st started sticking out to me, excuse me, because like I said, there's nothing that they do that goes in line with that motivation that she's expressing to police. And so she's expressing this motivation, Instacare, in direct response to the question, why didn't you call 911? And when there is a motivation that's being said by Hannah that is not followed in anything that she describes, it begins to me to sound more like an excuse instead Definitely. of a reason. Also, an Instacare, Derek's not breathing. I mean, an Instacare, if that's, if it was open, they would still be getting somebody to the hospital. And Instacare is not where you want to go for a life or death emergency. You need to go to the ER for that. So just to put that out there. Um, so yeah, Instacares are great for like for maybe illnesses or things like that. But for a kid that's not breathing, uh, unless it's like right next door and that's going to be faster than getting to the ER, you, you need to get to an ER. Right. That's what that's for. And that's what an Instacare, I mean, so, sometimes would do, would say, like, would do nothing and say, get this kid to the hospital. So mm -hmm. it 
it seems though, again, we have to remind ourselves, and I know you guys know this, but the audience needs to understand, there seems to be two parallel storylines. One is that Derek isn't presenting too terribly. He's just having a little bit of a breathing issue. I think if we take him to an Instacare, they're going to give him some oxygen. He'll, he'll, they'll give him, you know, again, this may be some of what Nolan says too. So I may be sort of blending these two, but it's in both storylines. If you read Hannah and you, or listen to Hannah, and if you read Nolan or listen to Nolan, you sense that there are times where they're answering the questions that they don't think it's too bad. And they think this can be easily resolved and they don't see significant symptoms. And then when they're answering questions at other times, they seem to be indicating deep distress, complete stop of breathing. Um, the symptoms that they see seem to be extremely serious and worrying to them by their own words. And hence, he needs to go to a hospital immediately. And I think as you're listening to both of those, you have to figure out how to reconcile them if to come up with the solution to the problem. Good point. Can I say that a bit different way, Bill? Because we were talking about that this morning. Yeah, we've been talking a whole lot about this and listening to these things independently, all three of us. Yeah. Here's the thing that was difficult for me to get my head around as I'm listening to Hannah describe it and to Nolan describe it, which we'll hear here in a second, because it seemed confusing to me, uh, unnaturally so. And I think it was this morning or late last night or whatever that it occurs to me that there's a reason for that. And the reason why is because what we're hearing from both of these people are two different stories. And it's not a situation where Nolan's telling one story and Hannah's telling a different story because that would be easy to sort out. I mean, we all have that experience, right? Where we see two people telling different stories about the same thing. They're both telling two different stories at the same time, okay? And the one story is that this is DEFCON 1. This is an emergency. This kid needs help. He's not breathing, screaming, yelling, the whole nine yards. The second story that's going on at the same time is it's not that big a deal, okay? It's concerning, but he's had problems before breathing and even just the day before, and he's got this history, and I figure if I just hold him upright, you know, he'll be able to breathe because that's all it is, is this breathing issue that he's had before or a bad dream. Both of these things are happening at the same time, and there are elements of both of them in both of the, sto in the stories. And I'm just going to say here, okay, I have no idea what's going on. I'm not a mind reader. I can't identify this in both stories, though. And you let me know, you know, in the audience if you agree with this. But what this appears to be is there is one story, which is actually what's going on in reality. And that, I think, is the DEFCON 1 story, okay? Everything that they do is consistent with the DEFCON 1 story. But there's a story that's overlaid. And that is the story about what it is they're thinking about what's happening. And these two stories don't match. And that's why it was so difficult to get my head around it. What is wrong with these stories? The problem is there's two stories being told at the same time. One is the DEFCON 1 story. And the other one is this is no big deal story. And both of their stories have elements of both of those in each of them. And it's as if <clears throat> for some reason... They both decided to overlay the it was no big deal story 
on top of the DEFCON 1 story. I feel like it reminds me of just kind of what apologists have done that you guys have covered in past episodes where uh, one technique or strategy is good in this scenario. And then when it is, it will hurt your case in the other scenario, then you flip it. Uh, I, I feel like that might be the reason why. I don't know if they maybe coach each other on the exact points or they just maybe inherently know this is what it looks better at this part if I don't know how serious it is. And this part makes me look better when I do know how serious it is. And the most clear example of that is where Hannah says it's no big deal in order to explain why she didn't call 911. And similarly, they're using the same ex uh, example. So I've got allergies bad. I'm not actually crying, but I could be because this is a terrible, terrible story. Why they don't contact the nurse sister in the other room. Okay. These are, these are the, this is when it comes up. It's no big deal. But everything that they're doing, this is an incredible emergency. They've got to get to this this kid to the hospital. It's 65 in a 45 zone. It's I'm counting his breaths because I'm terrified he's going to stop breathing. And I want to remember when he takes his last breath so I can tell the nurses when I get there. At the same time, Bill, did you say something? Um, I, I just want to be really clear. There's obviously this other, you know, first off, stories can contradict in traumatic situations all the time. And there is always this possibility that there's some sort of medical condition that would explain this, that the doctors dealing with it misunderstood or didn't recognize. Um, I, I, because, because we're dealing with, you know, we can put that maybe into a tour <laughs> because we're dealing with a traumatic event and because nobody was prosecuted I would simply want, you know, for the record, for our show to be talking about all the possibilities, but we're not sure of any of them. We're just laying out information for the audience. Uh, and we're also trying to report on this. And to some degree, we're trying to contribute to the scope of the investigative data that's available. Um, you're muted, RFM. You guys so much. I appreciate that. Um, and if anybody's wondering why the cops are focusing on Hannah as their obvious primary suspect, it's because according to the story she has told them, she has made herself the person who gets up and is first to Derek after hearing him scream, according to her story. So she puts herself in that position by the story she tells. That's why they're focused on her more than you'll hear that they're focused on Nolan, even though they recognize that Nolan's behavior is very suspicious as well. Like the officer says to Hannah, look, I'm, I'm a dad, I've got a kid. And if this is happening, there's no way that I'm sending my wife and the kid off to the hospital alone. I'm going with them. Right. So is there anything else in the live chat that's going on Maven? Um, some of the comments I wanted to, uh, just during the interview, like, as it was going on, there were people commenting about when she was crying or how calm she sounded. Um, there's accusations of psychopathy, things like that. And I just, I really want to be extremely hesitant to armchair diagnose things like that based on her reaction. These are situations where we really don't know. And there's a point where you're, you know, no matter the body and the mind can only take so much 
stress and exhaustion, honestly. So as uh, as horrible as it is, like you could be incredibly calm. And this is something maybe Dan and I, uh, Dan Vogel in the chat, I think has seen that he's he watches interrogations too. Um, it's something that it, when I have a free moment, I do like to do. But um, I, I, and I've seen interrogations where it's it's known after the fact who was the guilty party and who was completely innocent. And you, I've seen one recently where it's really shocking how calm a, a husband was over his wife who was murdered when it was their son-in-law that did it. And he had no idea. And this was the day of, this was within a few hours of him discovering her body. And it was just really flat, really remarkably just, it seemed so calm and casual. And again, this is someone that is known after the fact to have been completely innocent in it. So that's all I just want to say. If we're, if we're not, um, you know, mental health professionals, I, I mean, I, that's also something I like to look into, but I would really hesitate to armchair diagnose anyone with any kind of personality disorder based on something like that. So I really do want, and I think Bill and RFM agree with me, this is a tragic case and we know something happened to Derek that shouldn't have. We know that somebody did it to him, but I think we still want to be as fair as possible and understanding as possible. And even if it, I, I absolutely think whatever happened was an accident. I don't think either of these parents who or whoever did it meant to fatally harm this child. So I, I definitely, you know, there can be real grief in that. I just want to give as much leeway as possible to the parents that we can give and really just go off of the information that we have so that that was the only thing and so and that was why i kept one uh comment on for for quite a while and i'll go ahead and say this for anyone that's just listening and not watching um this comment i'll go ahead and put it up Yes, you can't really judge if someone is guilty by their composure and voice. If she is innocent, she may be processing things in an odd way, like she's still in shock. I thought that was very fair. Uh, yeah. That's why I kept that up for uh, a lot of the um, a lot of the interview. So I just I just want to say, as much as I also love police interrogations or like learning about these kind of techniques or like behaviors, um, you know, uh, I it's still even the experts will say. You can't just automatically assume that this A equals B, you know, without knowing the whole thing. So that's all. And then I guess the the only other thing was I kind of the budget thing that people have talked about being kind of weird. I could see how um, I, I feel like I've experienced this before where some people who have more money than I do and more leeway sometimes don't recognize or realize how much of a financial burden can be put on somebody else especially like in families for something like this for vacations. It's something that I have seen in my own family. And I, so I understand the desire, even if you cannot contribute or if this is something that's way out of your scope, uh, especially if Nolan is a lawyer and he's, or an attorney, he's supposed to be considered to be successful and at least wants to give off this idea of, of making enough money. I can absolutely see how one would maybe go on a vacation that you can't afford. And also why, yeah, I bet Bonnie and her husband probably could afford to pay for a lot of things, but maybe there's some pride or some shame in even, you know, really bringing it up, you know? So I just wanted to say that, that, you know, people are commenting on it. I can, I can see how this could be a blind spot for both Bonnie and her husband, maybe not realizing the strain that's on the other two. Um, and maybe, and also for them for not communicating that and wanting to try to find other ways to save money for a vacation that they maybe feel they have to go on and 
they need to save face for it, but that they can't really afford the, the fancy dinners on top of Disney. It's already, it's, re it's really expensive. So yeah. I could see how they might be tapped out and not be willing to say that. So, yeah. Uh, by the way, I will let everybody know that there's lots of things that uh, Bill and I and Maven have shared with regards to our thoughts and speculations that we are not going to share on tonight's show. We're going to share what's kind of the obvious stuff, I think, but uh, there's a lot of things that we've talked about. They're just uh, speculation, and we're not going to talk about those, just so you know that there's stuff you're missing. So anyway, uh, I will say that from the police's point of view, as well as from the prosecutor who reviewed this case and then declined to pursue or file charges, the presence of another adult in the suite complicates matter further. Now there are three adults. Say that again, the Arthur. The, the presence of Tanner, the 26 or 27-year-old brother yeah. of Nolan, yeah. uh, complicates matters. Because now you have three adults. You have three potential suspects. Yeah. And, and there are. They're, again, not the most likely, but there are scenarios where they're covering for him or he did something when they were both getting ready for bed or you just never know um and anyway and then also note that we one of the things we don't have tanner's an adult tanner should have been he's in the in the hotel room where a kid where they're investigating a child homicide of a, a death of a child and we don't have any interview audio from him no, that was not provided. Strangely, we have had... Bonnie, but we don't have Tanner. Yes. And between the two, I'd rather have Bonnie. But they obviously had to interview Tanner. We know they interviewed Derek, Bonnie's husband, yeah. because twice the cops refer to that when they're talking to Bonnie. We don't have that. They had to interview Tanner. Yeah. I, mean, I would rather have Tanner... Because he was there. And so, I mean, I know like Bonnie is the one who's more known and noticed, you know, in this space. But mm -hmm. um, I don't know if this has been brought up, but I know Nolan says it in his interview that Tanner has Asperger's, which is high functioning autism. It's not referred to that as much anymore. But and, and people can display this differently. So I, I had a roommate in college who um, and she called it Asperger's back then, too. Um, so, yeah, she, I mean, she was getting her degree. She was definitely different. Um, the social cues and things like that. I just I think that Tanner probably would have been a more honest interview. I think somebody who has high functioning autism I, because of the uh, inability to pick up on social cues as much. I mean, it does put them in a more risky situation. So I, if I if somebody I cared about was high functioning and autistic. The last thing I would want them to be in front of is police and be answering questions. Um, but I, I, if they had that interview, I would really want to know what Tanner says, because I, I believe that it would be a more honest interview unless the police are leading because that can, it is easier, I think, to do something like that to, to somebody like Tanner. Um, and maybe yeah, that's why they didn't send it. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe the interview, maybe it makes the police look bad, you know, maybe if they, maybe that's why it didn't get sent along. I, who knows? But anyway, that's, I, I think there's probably more information that could have been got that from that one. If it had been done well and properly and ethically, um, I think more could have come from Tanner than from Bonnie. Okay. Um, should we move on to Nolan? Let's move on to Nolan. We'll see that the police are, I think, a lot easier on Nolan than they are on Hannah. But it's certainly very, very interesting to hear what he says and how he says it. So I'll play the audio and then I will put up again 
Uh, oops, sorry, Maven, you're doing that. Um, I'll put up again the uh, transcript and try to help you follow along with it, although I'm not perfect at that either. So here we go. Let's do, uh, let's go back. Sheriff's office, we're located at Arnold Palmer Hospital. And today's date is December 9th, 2016. How's that? The time is 13 four hours. This is in reference to case number 2016-111490. This is in reference to Derek uh, Cordon. 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 <laughs> Weight mail, date of birth of... Uh, my name's with the Orange County Sheriff's Office. We're located at Arnold Palmer Hospital on the second floor. Uh, Derrick's in room 2006. We're currently located in a staff break room. Uh, I have several people present in the room with me. Can you see the for the department? Um, investigator for the department. Sir, could you give me your name and date of birth, please? Nolan Corden. Uh... All right, I've already asked you, but I'm going to ask you again. Is it okay if I record this conversation? Yes. All right, I appreciate that. I appreciate the time. I know this is an extremely difficult time for you. You have a lot going on. Um, anytime you're done talking with me, that's all you have to do is let me know, okay? And this will be worth it. Uh, obviously, we're here. Uh, asking about Derek and uh, just kind of get some information. Uh, you guys have been in Disney Minor Scenes since Monday? Yes, that's correct. And you're sharing a hotel room at NBC Suites with your brother, your wife, and your two sons? Yes. Uh, what's Tanner's state of birth? Do you know that by chance? Uh, it would be... Okay. All right, let's kind of just jump into the middle of it. What, what did yesterday consist of? So, um, yesterday we went to Hollywood Studios. Um, we spent the full day there. Uh, after uh, Hollywood Studios, we went to um, the uh, Disney Springs where we got ice cream at Gardelli. And then uh, on the way home, we went to McDonald's to get dinner. Um, then uh, we drove back to the hotel um, and ate dinner in the uh, hotel room. Um, and then uh, we put the kids to bed at that point. Anything out of the ordinary happened at the park yesterday? Um, Derek's breathing for the past at least week, maybe longer, um, has been a little rough. When he was one, he had his adenoids removed because of a similar problem. Um, and at the, that time, they had told us that most likely they would have to eventually take out his um, um, consoles. Uh, but they didn't want to do both at the same time because of how young he was. And so that rough breathing that he had while he was sleeping, yeah. um, we, um, we thought it was the, the tonsils and that we would need to get it checked out when we got back. What I was actually referring to more so is I know you guys are traveling with a large family. You've got your brother, your sister, her significant other, her son, your two parents, your wife, and your two kids. There's a lot of people. Right. You guys are right at the end of your trip. How was the dynamic between everybody yesterday? Was there any oh, uh, easiness? Were you guys getting along? No, it was fine. I mean, um, yeah, nothing that I recall being out of the ordinary. Um, no big tension, no, no. family arguments. So I can tell you, when I go on, a, on vacation with my family, about, about halfway through that, my brother and I are about to probably throw each other off the balcony if we're standing next to one. Sure. No, it, um, they, uh, my parents and uh, siblings all went to dinner, um, and originally we had planned on going to a different park okay. um, on yesterday, but uh, we ended up doing all that we wanted to do at that park on Monday. Okay. Um, and so we weren't on the reservation, and so for the majority of the day, um, from 3 o'clock onwards, we were kind of by ourselves anyway. So we were... Okay. So you had some alone time. Have you guys been setting that up throughout the trip, or you guys been able to people split off? And... Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been a, a, a total, you know, family has okay. to be completely together the entire time. Um, but uh, we tried as much as possible uh, to be together. So yesterday, you guys were planning on not having dinner with them. You were planning on going to the other park on the get-go. Right. We ended up not doing the other park, but, oh, but it was planned. But that had been the plan. Yeah. Okay. So there's been between you and you and uh, your wife, there hasn't been any kind of no. tension or anything. No. I can tell you with my ex-wife when she would come. <laughs> well, it's not her family. Yeah. These aren't the people that she grew up with. These are people I grew up with. These are people I'm close to. Sure. So the things that my family would like to do would necessarily be. And sometimes that would cause issues with us. The way um, my family travels is very different from the way her family travels. And this um, is one of the first times that 
we've, well, first time in a long time, I should say, that we've traveled with my family. Um, and yeah, my wife had a little bit of, um, I don't know if anxiety is the right word, but just, um, you know, differences in how the families vacation. Um, but I mean, between me and her, there weren't any issues. Because okay. I mean, she did say that she does have anxiety issues. And you can yeah. tell talking to her. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. No, she, she does, and it runs in her family. That's what she said. Yeah. So that's that top on everything else. I didn't know if that was causing problems for you guys. Um, how does she get along with your brother Tanner that was staying in the room? Um, well, Tanner um, has Asperger's. Oh, okay. Um, and he's can be a little difficult to socialize with. Yeah, I didn't realize nobody had said anything about him having Asperger's. Yeah. Um, how then? I understand there's different levels of Asperger's. He's fairly high functioning. Okay. And so just meeting him and talking with him, you wouldn't immediately think, oh, he has oh, Asperger's. Okay. Um, just, you know, as you spend time with him, you just pick up on weird little things. But he's, he's the sweetest kid. It's just sometimes hard to get along with him. And so um, occasionally my wife would be like, we need to just separate from just a little bit, yeah. have some non-standard time. Of course. I'm sure that's for everybody. I, how far did uh, Tanner make in school? Did he graduate or? Uh, he graduated high school, yeah, um, okay. and he got most of the way through college. He's still working on that. Oh, so fun. Yeah. It happens. Yeah, no, so. and he's he's doing uh, something that he loves to do, recreational management. So, oh, good. Okay, so yeah, he's he's very high functional. Now. Yeah, so he can take care of himself. and yeah. he doesn't. Does he live at home back in Utah? Or he lives he... at my with my parents. Okay, he's only twenty, so going to college and. Well, he's twenty. Uh, let's see, how old is he? He's twenty-seven. Twenty. Oh, okay. He's two and a half years younger than me. Oh, see that I heard he was twenty. That's why I said oh, that. Yeah, no. Okay, still though, I mean. Not bad. So, uh, yesterday, you guys get done with the ice cream, decide, okay, we're going to grab some McDonald's. Yeah, well, we, were, we were starving at that point. We had a yeah. bunch of, well, I mean, we've been snacking throughout the day. We brought snacks into the park because yeah. the prices are so high. And we, we bought a pretzel and things. But as far as like an actual meal, we hadn't sat down yet. And so uh, we, we left the ice cream parlor to go get some uh, dinner yeah. um, before our kids went. Okay. You guys got back to the room? Did you did you feed the kids in the car or did you eat got back no, to the we, room? No, we fed them. We got back to the room. Okay. All right. What did you guys do after eating? Um, I know we, you said you went to bed, but what was the routine? What happened? Uh, I mean, changed the kids, got them in pajamas, changed diapers, um, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, and then uh, we, you know, tucked them in bed. Uh, I think I read a story. Um, Derek was really happy with that. He was really tired. It's been a long day. Did Tanner stay in the room or did he go out? Did he go to the bar or anything? Uh, no, Tanner doesn't drink. Okay. Um, and uh, he was, and forgive me, I, I was in the other room, so I don't know exactly what Tanner did, but he was either in that room or in my parents' uh, room. I, I couldn't tell you because I was focused on no, I understand. I didn't know if he said, hey, look, I'm about to have a couple of beers. He's a 26. No, so yeah, no. Tanner doesn't drink. Um, and even if he did, the bar scene wouldn't feel to him because it would require him to socialize with people. Okay. People he didn't know, I should yeah. say. Yeah. He's, he's kind of an uh, introvert, a little antisocial? Uh, he's not antisocial. He just doesn't know how to fit in. Yeah. And so um, and with people that he doesn't know, he has a hard time striking up a conversation. So the thought of going to a bar by himself would absolutely be the last thing that he'd, he'd rather go to a movie by himself than go. Gotcha. And like I said, none of us drink, so. Okay. It well, that I didn't know either. Yeah. Okay. That was going to be my next question if you guys. Uh, yeah. No, we, no. None of us drink, so. No wrong with that. Uh, so you, Tanner's getting ready for bed. You guys are getting ready for bed. You put the boys in. Is Yeah, I mean, um, the boys, you know, Derek went down pretty easy. Sam did a little bit, but he's younger, so. Um, and she's with another part of the team. She's with the child protection team. So. Okay, sorry. No, it's fine. Um, and uh, I went to the bathroom to get changed and and brush my teeth and whatnot. Uh, came out, everything was fine. Uh, Tanner was asleep at that point. Yeah, Tanner was asleep in the other room. Okay. I didn't know some people like to stay up late and watch movies. Yeah, no, Tanner went to bed pretty early. I mean, it had been a long day for all of us. Oh yeah. And um, 
Yeah. So, bears asleep, Royce asleep, he's in a scrap of sleep, and you, you asleep or in the, you know, falling asleep, oh. Oh. laying down at least. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, I go to the, to my side of the bed. Well, while we're on that topic, I have, we had uh, some people down at the uh, hotel. Sure. They said there's two beds and then a window. Okay. Uh, this, may, this is obviously not the scale, and I don't know the layout of the room, but there's two beds. I said it would be here if you're looking at it from the okay, from the tail end of the bed. So the window is over here. Oh, so the door you walk in at the end of the bed. So the door, there's a door right here. Go through that door. Right here is the bathroom, and this space here is open, and that's where Tanner was sleeping. Which bed uh, were you guys in? Derek was in this bed. Um, okay. My wife, me, and then here in the corner. Make sure I get this right. So Derek, D R E K. Yep. And then your wife is Hannah. JNA. And then Nolan. And then. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. okay. I just kind of looked, I haven't been down there, so I wanted to get a idea of how. Sure. So you're going to bed. Everybody else is in bed, presumably asleep or, 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 or falling asleep. Yeah. yeah. So you lay down. You lay awake for a while, or are you exhausted from the day? And no, I, all the sleep? I fell asleep pretty quick. So I was out pretty fast. Okay. So what, what did you hear? What woke you up? Um, what woke me up is Derek. Um, he was doing his. Uh, his. Uh, his cry that he does when uh, he's had a nightmare. Um, it's kind of a, a whiny cry. Um, and uh, uh, he was doing it for a while, and it took me a while to respond because I knew Hannah was helping him out. Um, and uh, I was worried that he was going to wake the baby because uh, he was in the corner. Um, and uh, so I got up and was trying to shush Derek and kind of comfort him. Um, and then got up and it was game over, I thought. Um, oh yeah. yeah, you know that feeling. That's all. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so I, I go and get, uh, and uh, Hannah is in the meantime trying to soothe Derek and try, um, try and comfort him. Um, and usually he responds pretty quickly to that. He'll tell you what's wrong. And Hannah was asking, "What's wrong? What's wrong? You have a bad dream." Um, and uh, so he wasn't responding. So I put Sam down on, on our bed, um, and he, <laughs> I guess, he must have been pretty tired because he immediately comped out um, on. One of the pillows, and uh, I went to pick up Derek. Tell me what's wrong. Tell me what's wrong. He was just. Where'd you pick up Derek from? Uh, from Hannah. Oh, okay. From Hannah. Yeah. Um, and uh, or from the bed. I don't. Sorry. No, I. That's not a detail. No, that's not anything. <laughs> um, but uh, he was really. I don't know if limp's the right word, but just not. All the Derek that usually is when you pick him up at night. Like he usually grabs you in a hug. And is he limp? He's not quite like. Boneless, right. but yeah, I mean, just a little unresponsive. And was he holding his head up at that point? Or? Yeah, he was holding his head up, but his head was kind of swaying a little bit, like he was tired or, or yeah. which at first I thought that's what it was, but then um, I kept trying to talk to him. He wouldn't respond, and his breathing was really uh, ragged. Yeah. Um, so uh, I lifted an eyelid because he wasn't responding, uh, and his eyes were completely dilated. Um, and that uh, really worried me. Um, and so. Uh, and uh, like, well, should we take him to the hospital? Is this just something that he's gonna, you know, because again, this is something that he's had before um, and something that the doctors told us eventually we just need to get consoles out. Um, but uh, I said, yeah, let's, let's just take him to the hospital. I mean, this is a little more than normal. Um, so we, uh, um, Hannah quickly threw on some clothes and I just took Derek um, went out and uh, I didn't even have shoes on. I was just ran out of the room. Um, and uh, we got to, um, lobby of the hotel and asked the, the concierge or whoever was working the front desk I don't know, um, where the nearest hospital was. Um, and he told us the um, nearest hospital was just uh, go see the stop sign and then go turn right and go three miles. I don't remember the name of it. Dr. Dr. Phillips? Dr. Phillips, yeah. That's it. Um, so uh, I was like, well, should we call 911? I said, well, I mean, for the time it would take them to come to us and then go back, 
we could probably just go. I mean, it's not like there's going to be an issue with traffic at whatever time it was in the morning. Um, and so we got there to the car and, and Hannah took off um, and drove him to Dr. Phillips. Okay. Um, when you were going to go with her, she was going to go by herself. So um, I had woken up my brother and asked him to take care of while we were on the way out. Um, but I was still barefoot um, and uh, I was worried a little bit about And I, to be honest, I didn't think it was that serious uh, at that point. Um, just something to be checked out, maybe put him on oxygen or something. But, but I didn't think uh, it would be as bad as it, it's turned out to, to when, be. When you woke up in bed, what was the first thing you saw? Was Hannah still next to you? Was she already up holding Derek? Or was she on her way to get Derek out, up? Or what's the first thing you remember? I don't remember for sure. I think um, just the first thing you remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been awake for. <laughs> I mean, um, I I think she was already holding Derek, but I don't remember for sure. Okay. How was anyone else in the room? I'm sorry. Oh, anyone else in the room? No, other than my two kids and okay. us two. Okay. Well, that was the other question. Was just Tanner doesn't have a intensity to come in. He no, doesn't. No, no, no. He has a problem. He doesn't have a problem getting out there by himself. Out in his room. That'd yeah. be fine. Okay. Uh, but so when she was holding, how was she holding? I'm just comfortingly. Way you would, with her shoulder, or she? I mean, she um, is a small girl, and I know everybody says he's a small girl, but he looks like he's big to me. Yeah, no, um, I believe his head was on her shoulder, and she was okay. just trying to get him to calm down. She's trying to do a whole hop and hey, it's okay. No, no hopping or hanging, but just kind of uh, rocking. Hey, it's okay. What's going on? Tell mom what's wrong. Okay. Has it ever been uh, where the, the night, the, the dreams at night would wake him up like this before? I mean. Yeah, um, he started to have a few nightmares. Um, the last couple have been about beetles being in his bed. Um, uh, you know, just typical toddler stuff. With what we're seeing and what's going on, I mean, he has a lot of bleeding going on the side of his head. And that's why we're asking all these questions. And I understand. Yeah. We're trying to figure out if somebody else came in the room, There's, you know, what, what took place that I we're here right now. Don't think anyone else could have come into the room without us knowing. Um, but what happened to us? What happened to him? You're, it's, it's not a secret now. I mean, the, the doctors have talked to you and they talked to us at this point. We know that he suffered um, a serious head injury. Can you shed any light on, on, on how that happened? I wish I could. When you took him from, um, when you took him from Hannah, what, did, did did you drop him? No. Okay. Did you see if Hannah may have dropped him? No, and I would have heard it. Okay. Um, the other thing that is a possibility is during the panic to, like, you know, and to no malice of anyone, but maybe in the panic to get him to uh, be quiet enough to wait. Is it? Did you see if he, she grabbed him like suddenly, maybe? No? No, and she wouldn't have. Okay. Because the, from what the doctors are telling us, it, it, it can happen a couple of different ways. It's either something impacted him, or he impacted something, or shaking. Like, it, it doesn't have to be like a prolonged thing. It could be just like, just be quiet, be quiet, you know, something as quick as that. Yeah, well, they also told us that a, a blood vessel could have been weakened and just like kind of burst. Well, they, they mentioned that as well, so. Yeah, they talked about that, but the problem is there's more than one, is what they told us. If it had been one blood vessel in one right there, I mean, we've both been doing this for a long time, and we've seen these cases. I've seen those cases, and they, they usually will come out right away and say, hey, yeah, this is one blood vessel, but they said sure. it's, it's in an area, and there's more than one. And there's also retinal hemorrhaging going on, which we wouldn't see if it was just a blood vessel at first. And by no stretch, are we trying to suggest that any, either you or Hannah intentionally inflicted harm? I can tell that you're, you're a piece of it, and so is she. So don't, don't get us wrong in that we think that even even part of us thinks that you you or her did anything to, to your little boy with the intention of hurting him. I understand, officer, but frankly, I can't think of a time when either of us would have caused such an incident. I mean, we don't shake our babies. Um, he suffered no head trauma from hitting his head on anything that I saw. Um, we certainly didn't hit him. So I'm as at a loss about this as you are. And I've been racking my brain for eight hours, no, 
Well, nine hours since he went in for surgery, so about 13, 14 hours now. I'm trying to figure out what could cause this, and I have yet to come up with any idea. Okay. I mean, we took him on rides, and if you're saying that that type of shaking, it would have, it would have affected him before you got back to the hotel okay. earlier in the day. Then I have no idea. What is he? That actually is a comfort knowing that it wasn't some ride that we went on. No. What does our Derek cause, Mom? What does Derek cause? Yeah, they call him. Um, Mama. 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 Um, no, I mean, we're just, again, we're as much of a loss. We, we have the doctors telling us, hey, this, this injury would have occurred within, you know, instantaneous as far as him start showing signs. It's, something happened. We're just trying to figure out what happened. We didn't know. I mean, when I first started talking to you, I was kind of like, well, why is uh, Tanner sleeping on the couch, not sleeping in the bed? Usually the adults sleep in the bed and the kids sleep on the couch. I mean, so I was just kind of curious about that. So he said, well, he has Asperger's. That makes sense that he's not going to want to be with you guys, even though your family, and you like probably not going to want him in the room as well. So that's very understandable. Um, we're just trying to figure out what could have occurred. If she got into a panic and wants to wake him up and grab him, and was like, Derek, it's okay, you're fine, we're here. I don't know. Well, is that a question? <laughs> kind of, but kind of more just me talking out loud. We're, this is all we're doing. We're just trying to figure out what's going on. Well, I understand you're all in this. But as I mentioned, I, I don't have any answers for you as to how this could happen. Does, uh, let me just ask you a few uh, medical questions. Does he take medication? Derek? No. no. Um, any family medical history, significant family medical history? Um, well, her brother is um, diabetic. Okay. Um, Hannah's brother. Hannah's brother, yeah. Um, and his name is? Okay. Um, I don't know. My dad was adopted, so we don't know right. a lot of his history. Right. Um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to think of any other major things. Um, when when Derek has to be disciplined, what what is your what is your cut discipline? Um, timeout. We'll um, put him on the. He actually has a timeout spot on the steps. Say okay, go to timeout, and he'll go. We'll set a timer for however long, depending on what it is he did. Um, and then once that, he's expected to just sit there in timeout. Usually it's anywhere from a minute to two minutes. Um, and uh, after the time is up, um, we go and give him a hug and tell him we love him, but that whatever he did was wrong. Okay. And it's, it's not a bad thing because a lot of people believe it. Do you spank him at all? No spank. Okay. At least I haven't. I've never. Okay. Does, uh, I've never seen a handed either. Okay. Um, and he was a C-section delivery, right? That's what she was telling us. Yes. Um, and he last ate at McDonald's. Well, you get he last ate. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that was about what time? It was late night, right? Uh, nine nine thirty. Ten latest, but I don't think it was ten. Okay. Probably most likely nine thirty. And what did he have? Chicken nuggets. Make nuggets. Okay. With French fries, apples. Um, got a Ninja Turtle toy. And he can feed himself. Yeah. Okay. Um, and what's his birthday? Well, he's got one coming. It'll be two, right? It'll be one. Twenty fifteen. It's twenty sixteen. Oh, yeah. Um. Let's see. What's a good phone number in case we need to reach you? Because I'm assuming you guys are going back to Utah. Uh, well, depends on how dark does. Right, I know, but at some point. Yeah. Would you prefer uh, any correspondence from us come through you or Hannah? Would you prefer um, through you? Either way. Okay. Enough. What's her phone number? Okay. So let me make sure I get this right. When you you were awakened by Derek making a noise. Oh, continual noise. Yeah. Okay. How long did the noise go on by your estimation? I know that you were you were sleeping, but was it like minutes or half um, hour? Well, it wasn't half hour. We weren't there for half an hour, so probably minutes. Minutes. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I woke up groggy. I understand. And that's why I'm, I'm just asking for an estimate. But can you kind of describe, like, can you make the noise that he, he made? Um, it was kind of a, uh, um, 
I think he made a noise before that, mm -hmm. but I was still kind of asleep. So when I woke up, that was the noise he was making. So when you woke up, the first thing that you see is Hannah consoling him? Yes. Okay. And she has him in her arms and that point too? I was uh, just getting up. How is Hannah's demeanor usually with her kids? Does she lose her temper at no, all? Or? No, Hannah never loses temper. She's not about losing temper, she's temper. That was a bad, bad term. She says she, she has the anxiety and all that. Does that make her get? No, I mean, she, yeah, she gets anxious, anxious, but it doesn't make her get, you know, tense. Yeah. So it's, and she's rarely anxious with the kids. She's more anxious in social situations. Okay. okay. Again, with the, with the setting in the hotel, you guys all tired and traveling. He starts to wake up. He's crying. Is she concerned that he's going to wake the whole room up? Is she jumping up in a panic? And no, I mean, she, she let him room? cry for that. Usually we let him cry for a little bit, because okay. um, sometimes he just cries in sleep, just a little. Um, but yeah, so when it was prolonged, that's when she most likely got up. Did she wake you up to, to say, hey, there's something really wrong, or? No, no, it was, uh, you know. You heard it, so you were like, yeah. okay, let me go check and see if I can do something. Does he usually respond better with you or with her? No, usually he responds better with her. Okay. Nothing abnormal out of the day at the park. No, not, not that I remember or, or saw. And Tanner never comes into your room in the middle of the night. The fact that Tanner has Asperger's doesn't mean that he doesn't function well. I mean, he functions just fine. And he doesn't want to. Just, he's in the next room. Right. No, he doesn't ever come into our room. Okay. He, he's respectful of okay. our space. Okay. How's he along with the kids? Really well. Yeah. The kids really like him. He, he um, connects well with kids. Okay. Does he have a babysit? No. It's my, my understanding that uh, she's a stay-at-home mom, she takes care of the kids, so there's no daycare in the picture. There's, okay. So she's used to handling the kids and being around them all the time. Yeah, she she does schoolwork at home, so occasionally her sister will come and watch okay. while we're there, but I mean, the vast majority of the time she's with the kids. Okay. Like I said, we're just we're not trying to say anybody's a bad parent, say anything bad. We're not here to make judgments. We get a phone call, we come out and try to gather all the facts. And I appreciate the services you provide. Yeah. Uh, we don't abuse our children. No. <laughs> That's and I know, I know you're not questioning that, no, but not at all. But things happen all the time, yeah. and we simply just show up, and you know, you know what we do. Yeah. We come in, we, we gather facts. That's all we do. I know. Some people come in, they see us come in, and it's, and they get a big panic, and they start taking something that is just immobile, and then we get into a huge mountain. Yeah. Well, just please understand that we've been through a lot. I do understand that. I do understand that quite a bit. Um, like I said, I've been doing this for a long time. This is not my first. No, I know. First one of these cases, unfortunately, unfortunately, won't be my last. Um, but just know, I mean, my heart does go out to you and your family. Appreciate that. That's, that's horrible. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you think I would want to know? Do you swear or confirm everything you said is true and accurate to the best of your knowledge? Yes. If you don't have anything else, do you have anything else? Do you have any questions? Pardon? Yeah. We're probably going to need to get some more. Yeah, sorry. I yeah. came in dry. I, I usually tell people in the beginning of, of an interview is if you have questions of me, please ask. Do you have any questions of me? Just, what happens if he passed away? I don't know we're going to cross that bridge when we get it. I mean, as far as what do you mean, what happens? I just I wasn't sure if there's a protocol or something the hospital does or, or your department does. Well, that's why I didn't know if you meant for him, for the hospital, oh, or for, for us getting him home. And, oh, all that will go through our medical examiner's office. He will be sent to the medical examiner's office. They will do their, their stuff there. Uh, they, they will check him over. And then, if you have a, a company that you use back home, a funeral company, you would contact them and they would make arrangements for you to get him home if, if we have to do that. Um, I just passed Hannah the hall she's feeding. Oh, thanks. Good. Yeah, so, um, I'd like to uh, have a couple more follow-up questions I'd like to ask her, um, and then I'd like to talk to you both together and kind of answer any questions that you have to family and uh, make sure that you have my contact information. Let me do that now while I'm thinking about it. I gave Hannah a card. 
and if you guys have any questions whatsoever, whether it's here while you're still in Florida or whether it's when you get back to Utah, don't hesitate to call me. That's my cell phone number. It's on 24 hours a day. Um, I'm assuming that you won't call me at midnight. Um, but if you, do, if, you do, if you do, if you do, I mean, I'll answer, but leave a message or send me a text and say, hey, this is Nolan. Can you give me a call? And I'll call you back as soon as I can, okay? Sure. All right. Anything else? No. Um, did you have any other questions? Uh, just, uh, just to that I also, um, Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now? Oh. I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording. Since we're done, it's 14 or two hours. I'm stopping the recording. And there's the interview with Nolan. Did you have any thoughts about that, Bill? Yeah. Nolan says he's awakened by Derek's whining, but puts it off because Hannah, Hannah is handling it, which means she is already up. Um, oh, yes. I think that was very clear that she's up and taking care of it by the time he is cognizant of what's going on. Yep. And I'll read Hannah. I've got to turn my phone back on because I didn't want it beeping while I was doing stuff. Kind of text coming through, but we'll read Hannah's testimony. Her testimony again indicates that we woke up to his crying. We were worried that uh, it was going to wake up Sam. We uh, extended our voices towards Derek telling him to quiet down and that that's something that needs to be dealt with. Now she could be saying we, when she just means me, but since it's both parents, she's trying to represent both parents. There could be something, some good explanation there, but on the surface, it seems like there's a deep contradiction about what happens to the point where when Nolan is asked about when he woke up, the first time he's answering, he's stammering and he doesn't know whether she was up already or not. But over the course of that conversation, the police asked him, I think, four times, what was the situation that he woke up to? And he goes from not knowing that he can't remember to the point where, if you remember, the officer, what was the thing he said? What's the first uh, thing no, you remember? What's the first thing you remember? Like, it should be, what? Well, come on, there's, a, there's this screaming and horrible situation. You come to out of consciousness. What's the first thing you remember? And, and he, he doesn't have it. it. And so the cop asked the question again, because no matter who you are and no matter what happened, there is an answer to the question of what's the first thing you remember. Right. Um, and so Hannah here, Hannah is asked in her conversation, you fall back asleep. What wakes you up? And she says, Derek woke me up with a scream and it sounded to me like he had a bad dream. He started to get them only recently, and we were afraid he'd wake up Sam, who would then take forever to get back to bed. So we were saying, Derek, be quiet. Then I got up. Um, Nolan says he lifts an eyelid, and it's fully dilated, and that really worries him. That's very different than out at the car when he says, I didn't go because I didn't think this was that serious. Thank you. Yes, that's the exact kind of juxtaposition I'm talking about, where on the one hand, in a big sense, Hannah's describing something screaming, yelling, and um, Nolan is saying, you know, he's just sort of doing his little, Wah, his whiny cry, Wah, Wah, you know, very little. And that he describes Hannah's going, it's okay, it's okay. And Hannah's describing as, as screaming, you know, he's not breathing, he's not breathing. So that's two different stories between the two of them. But like I said, even with their own stories, they seem to be telling two different stories. And that's that point right there where Nolan says, number one, 
I mean, he's so concerned. He opens up his eyelid to look and he says his eye is completely dilated and it really worries him. This is more than this is more than something that they've done before. But then he turns around and when they're out there at the car, he lets her go off to the hospital with him because he says, well, I didn't think it was that big a deal. Maybe they would just, you know, put him on oxygen or something. So I'm I'm getting the sense of two stories there from Nolan as well as from Hannah. Yeah. What do you think about that, Maven? Any thoughts from you? Um, there's someone in the comments, and I you see I've seen this in my own family where the mother is more likely to be panicked and want to take a kid to the hospital, um, and I, the father is less concerned. I know. Again, I. It, this doesn't necessarily apply to all families, but it it certainly does to mine. So it's a, a type of thinking that I can really understand. That also might be where these two stories are kind of coming in and overlapping in weird ways. I th That's my thoughts on that. It could be. It is interesting that Bill had pointed out, not tonight, but in a phone call with me, that the idea of the hospital changes. In other words, when Hannah tells a story, it's Nolan who brings up the idea of taking him to the hospital. And when Nolan tells a story, it's Hannah who brings up the idea of taking him to the hospital. For whatever yeah, they, that may be they, worth. They both have the other person doing it. They both also have the other person being the one worried about the finances. Just a note that there is this disagreement in their stories about who's responsible for what. Also notice that he said that he described his kid as sort of limp. And Hannah described the kid as sort of rigid. And just a discrepancy. And I don't think that points to anything that says anything about someone doing something harming the child it's just noting that in some way these two seem to be at times experiencing very different realities mm -hmm. and in their own stories there's contradictions so they're almost experiencing different realities with themselves i had run some of these facts by another attorney friend of mine and he made this comment which i thought was quite uh, insightful which is that everybody involved in this seems to be intent on presenting a perfect leave it to beaver family. Yeah. Except for the finances. Well, right. But Derek is the most obedient boy in the history of the world. The parents never discipline him. Never need and to. Never I'm physical sorry, what, discipline. Haven? They never spank him. They, they don't, don't need yeah. to. Yeah. No, because he's the most obedient kid in the world. Hannah, according to Nolan, never, never loses her temper. I don't think I've met that person yet in my life who never loses their temper. With and yet Hannah describes kids. herself as being so worried about Derek screaming, waking the baby that she yells at him. In fact, she's sort of beating herself up, up over the fact that she yelled at him instead of listening to her to him, right? That's what she's doing. And I don't know. Is that losing your temper? I mean, I don't know. But there just seems to be a very, can I say typically Mormon? There seems to be an, an intention to present this perfect picture, which has never existed in the history of the world, and which tend to make things look a little bit more questionable to me rather than less questionable. Nolan mm -hmm. says, Hannah asked him, should we take him to the hospital? Yeah, let's, 
So, of course, yeah, let's just take him to the hospital. This seems significant as it contradicts Hannah. Again, you pointed out, Nolan has Hannah asking. Hannah has Nolan asking. Nolan and Hannah seem to be originally going to the hospital together. Otherwise, he doesn't need to tell Tanner. I guess he does, sort of. But he tells Tanner to watch the youngest. And he says Tanner doesn't watch kids, but he also says Tanner's capable. Like, he doesn't – I don't get anything – Yeah. I I hear the Asperger's, but I don't get anything that indicates that Tanner couldn't have watched that kid for an hour. And if he had any trouble, all you had to do is go next door. So it seemed to me as though he's going to go to the hospital with her and he wants to portray it as he kind I think too, that he makes this last minute decision not to go because he's worried about saying, worried about the youngest kid. And so while, um, while they both seem to be going to the hospital together, originally Nolan asked, Nolan, when asked why, says, to be honest, I didn't think it was serious at that point. Um, just something he say, that he checked. Also, like he wasn't wearing shoes. He said he didn't have shoes on. So I feel it, like. I wouldn't care. I, I wouldn't care. Yeah. My kid, my kid I, is in a, an emergency state. I guess I'm thinking, uh, to me, I, I don't know. Shoes would be something really quick to put didn't on. did people and get like dressed important. in the room? Like, weren't they putting clothes on anyway? Right. So that's that's why I'm thinking I, if he left the room without shoes on, I don't think he ever meant to leave the hotel. But that's that's just a guess. Maybe you're yeah. right. Maybe he just wasn't thinking about it. Um, but that's well, what that says to me, that he wasn't going to go. No I'll one tell you what the police are thinking. The, oh, so, yeah. The police, I thought I was on mute, but I wasn't this time. Ha! So... What the police were, what the police are thinking is, okay, he doesn't go to the hospital with her, although we would expect him to. And therefore, the reason he's staying is because he needs to take care of some things. And one of the things the police would be thinking is he needs to check on Tanner and what Tanner heard. Right. And maybe what people next door heard. But he's got to make sure that everything is... This is what police are thinking. I'm not saying this is what happened, okay? This is a possibility they're definitely thinking about, right? Yeah. There's a reason he doesn't go to the hospital when normally you would as the husband. And the police express that. I'd be going with, is what they say. Yeah. So why is he staying back? Is it just because of the baby? Or is it because of Tanner? And, and, and notice, anybody else? And notice it's that other storyline that you mentioned because when he's asked uh when he nolan when asked why says quote to be honest i didn't think it was serious at that point comma um i just something to be checked out maybe put him on oxygen or something but i didn't think it would be as bad as it turned out to be this is the same guy who five minutes earlier up in the room or 25 minutes earlier or 40 minutes earlier right we up don't in the know. room lifts his child's eyelid and says they're completely dilated, and this worried me. Mm-hmm. It that seems is also a seeming contradiction. Um, while Hannah claims she never considered calling nine one one, Nolan admits Hannah asked him whether they should call nine one one. Seemingly between the hotel lobby and the car, didn't think it that serious. Just a slight breathing issue. Nolan, again, struggles to remember what the situation was when he woke up. He stammers and seems unwilling to state for sure what he woke up to. And only at the end when the officer puts the words in his mouth. So you woke up and she was already holding the kid. And Nolan goes, yep. That's the that's at the moment where he seems to now clearly remember waking up to her already being out of bed. 
when again Hannah's testimony is that the two of them woke up together we were afraid that he would wake up the younger sibling who would then take forever to get back to bed so we were saying Derek be quiet then I got up okay so I'll mention one thing here which is the strange disconnected question from the police officer to Nolan about what does Derek call his mom? You remember hearing that Maven? And he says, mama. And it's, it's not attached to anything before, not attached to anything after. And I was just going to throw in there why it is the, the cop was asking that. It's because there's a chance that Derek is going to come to. And if Derek comes to, and make some kind of announcement about who hurt him. This happens a lot as, as far as identification goes. Child sex cases, right? Where uh, a child, a small child, isn't going to say, you know, uh, Maven touched me funny or Bill Real did this, right? They're going to say mama or whatever term they have for this person. So what police need to know is, okay, when the child says this name, who is it that child is talking about with specificity so that some, you know, scurvy defense attorney can't come along later and say, well, maybe he was talking about grandma, mm. right? That's why the cop asked that question. Now, of course, it ended up being immaterial. The other thing, which is of interest to me, is just that if Hannah and if Nolan know more than they're saying, and if what they're not saying would be inculpatory to one or the other, there is a concern, there would be a concern in their minds that Derek would come to and that Derek would say with his limited vocabulary what happened. So that's something that's going on under the surface as well, if indeed that's the case. I'll say one other thing here. By the way, Maven, how's the live chat going? We still got over 500 people here. You guys are yeah. incredible. It's it's two hours and 48 minutes. We started 10 minutes late. And uh, what champions we have in the in the audience. Thank you so much for bearing with us. What's going on in the live chat, Maven? Um, I we've we've lost a few people that have had to go to bed, but overall it's um speculation. I guess the only comment I have about something that was said earlier. Um it's funny. I've, I mean, I've come to the defense of of the parents here, and I mm -hmm. now I'm coming to the defense of the cops, which is, I guess, ironic because I've said both in the chat and on air, the cops are not your friend. And I mean, RFM, you know this. If you're ever in an, in an interrogation like this, I would say, especially if you're innocent, they're not going to help you. They're not there to help you. Um, and so, and Nolan knows this, I think Hannah does too, but if not, I for sure Nolan knows as he's in this interrogation. Um, and you know, it's been, it is frustrating to see the cops just leave certain juicy loose ends to just, just let them go somewhere. But from what I have seen, interrogation really is an art form. And there's a lot that has to be managed and there's a lot going on in the moment. So it's just, there's a lot that has to happen in the mind. And I think this would be exhausting, especially, you know, when you've seen some interrogations have gone on for hours, sometimes through the night, sometimes these cops have had no sleep. Um, and yet they still have to balance 
you have to do it right. You have to be interpreting uh, so much information that you're getting from the other person because everybody's different. What you want, what you need really is a confession. And so you've got to figure out the perfect way to handle this stranger, to, to figure them out as quickly as you can, to try to thread this needle of being able to get to coax them to get them to confess to something that they know without pushing too hard or else you just shut them down. They either stop talking to you or they lawyer up. They lawyer uh, up. Yeah. Exactly. So which is what happened eventually. Right. So it's, you know, so I, I, I do agree that they are, it's frustrating and it's, that there are questions that not aren't asked and there's questions that are asked that don't make sense. But yeah, I just, I would never in a million years think that I, I could do any better, honestly. So I, I just wanted to put that out there. Yes. You know, if things had gone differently, maybe they would have been able to get someone to say something, but it's just something you only get one shot at it. And again, there's so much information you have to be handling and you don't know these people. So you just, you have to give it your best shot. I just so want Bill's to know putting here. up the handwritten statement from Nolan. Yeah. I just that wanted, we went over last time. Go ahead. I just wanted to note he, so this is this middle paragraph here, which is actually, you know, if I, if I scrolled all the way up, it's, you know, a little further down, but it's the bottom part. He woke, he, this is Nolan talking about what he first noticed. So he says in refer, reference to he, it's Derek. So he woke up around 12 to 1230, whimpering like he does when he's having a bad dream. We soon found he was unresponsive and my wife drove him to the hospital. In between those two sentences, that gap, you know, my mouse is going all over the place. But I was going to say, is this just me? I have no I idea. Know. No, I don't know what that's about. But if I, I just go I'm to one spot, myself. <laughs> right there, in between those two sentences where my little hand is there, uh, there's a whole story to be told and nothing gets said. He starts off with, we woke up with a noise, which I think is true. I think no matter what we say happened, that's true. And the next thing is, we found him unresponsive and my wife drove him to the hospital. That middle part where there's nothing written is the most important part of the story. And for whatever reason, Nolan didn't decide to tell that part of the story. He elides over that part. That's E-L-I-D-E-S. Dan Vogel knows exactly what I'm talking about. And so do most of you. He elides over the most important part and what he knows Presumably is the most important part of the story. We'll just leave that unsaid. Yeah. Okay, so two things before we get to Bonnie, right? Because we are going to replay Bonnie's three statements. We now know that Bonnie knows that both parents did not drive little Derek to the hospital. And yep. yet, in her public statement, she will say they both drove him to, to drove him to the hospital. The other thing is this, okay? <clears throat> Here's what's going on with the police. The police believe they know that there was severe head trauma to Derek. They believe they know, based upon what the doctors have told them, that that trauma happened near in time to the screaming and all the bad stuff happening. So what has happened with this whole story is that Nolan and Hannah have both put themselves at the scene of what the police believe is the crime. And they were there for two hours plus before it happened. 
because they get back to the hotel room, 9, 9.30. This happens around midnight, maybe 12, maybe 12.30. I don't know. It happened in the room. Okay. This is where they're coming from. And they're facing two people, Nolan and Hannah, who are telling them nothing happened to Derek's head. And the police are going, that's not true because the forensic evidence says otherwise, that they're hearing from the doctors. So having said that, what I found is I was listening to what appeared to be very credible witnesses, Nolan and Hannah. They appear to be very credible. What they're doing is they're trying to invite the listener into a twilight zone. And the twilight zone is to believe us about what happened in spite of the fact that the forensic independent evidence says that's not what happened. Believe us over the evidence. The police are not going there. Okay, it's clear. They're not going there. They know what the evidence is. They've talked to the doctors. They're just trying to crack and get a confession. Doesn't work. I believe it is possible that one of the reasons, because this is what started this whole thing, is, is Bonnie shooting her mouth off in public about this story. Not once, not twice, but three times and getting three different spiritual experiences out of it that she can tell her stories about and tell to the audience and increase their faith. It is possible that Bonnie is in a position where because of her being the grandmother and the, the mother of Nolan, that she has accepted that invitation because there's nowhere else for her to go except into that twilight zone where she you know, believes what they're saying in spite of the physical evidence, which she knows the doc. I mean, she's there at the hospital. She's heard all about this. She knows about the trauma to the head and that's exactly what the injury show. And I think that that is creating a lot of cognitive dissonance in Bonnie that she may be trying to work through by expressing these things publicly when it seems very strange that she'd be doing that at all, which is called all it's doing is calling attention to it, which started this whole thing off in the first place. Maven, what did you have to say? I was just going to say, it's interesting that you bring that up because it's not something I really thought of or realized until now, but it really is a parallel. I, I think for our Mormon experience, that's what we do. And that's the space. The more you start learning about the church, but you know, the less when you're not ready to really let those things go yet or let your faith go or just the idea that you have built up in your head, the evidence and the facts are really troubling, but you find some kind of a space that you can fit in to make it work. And so I think all of us here in the chat are these who have been Mormon or have been part of another, um, you know, controlling religion or organization I, I think understands this it's just an interesting parallel i don't think it was ever somewhere we were going with this but yeah. i think it is true and i get it makes it kind of weirdly even i mean people have, are asking why are you covering why are you covering this but uh it it just kind of lines it up even more it, it really is integrated with mormonism i think no i think you're right I, that's a great point that you bring up because what do you do when you've got strongly held personal belief and then you have evidence coming into the scene that contradicts it you've got to make a decision and if you don't then you're going to be living in this twilight zone that causes the cognitive dissonance until yeah. you do make a decision bill were you going to say something um no not necessarily i'm i'm just 
so like you guys, I find the two of them to actually handle the interviews really well. I found them, I would have, if this was me and if I had done something malicious and not even malicious, that's the wrong word, because you can get frustrated and cause harm to a child that right. you didn't really go into the situation going like, I want to hurt you. It's, you're just, you lost your cool. The way they handle the interviews, they come across as like, man, we're innocent. We just didn't do this and we don't know what's going on. As you point out, RFM, there's two obstacles. You named the primary one, which is the medical evidence. The second one is there, there's so much apparent contradiction in all of these stories that I don't know that it's maybe, but I don't know that it's possible to reconcile them. I don't know that you can go like, Oh, I see what you're saying. I know that you're telling me that I'm, I'm telling you that this wasn't serious enough over here. And I'm telling you how serious it was over there. I know I'm telling you that Hannah told me she's worried about finances. And I told her I'm worried about finances. And we both said it was the other person. And each of us told you that the other person wanted the hospital or didn't want to call 911 or I feel like if they sat down and tried to reconcile all of that, it would get really, it couldn't be done. And hence I'm stuck on the outside going like none, nothing here adds up. And the medical folks backed up by Dr. Peacock on our end, who is completely unrelated to Orlando and their law enforcement, who's retired and has no reason other than just to be in a, an objective, unbiased contributor of information. Um, she agreed that this most likely was blunt force trauma to the head, which also law enforcement says, which they're reflecting what the medical personnel there said. And um, they said, secondarily, it could have been really significant shaking and it's in multiple places and it can't be explained as a medical event that just happened. So we have to come up with, because the stories are contradictory and because the medical opinions uh, are such, it becomes really difficult for anybody such as the cops hearing the story to try to make this work in any way that goes with Hannah and Nolan and everyone else in that room being completely innocent. I had another thought about Mormon thinking in general, besides the cognitive dissonance that can come when evidence directly conflicts against beliefs, there's also this tendency to excuse really bad behavior as we've seen with the SEC filings, but also Joseph Smith's polygamy, the teen brides, uh, Brigham Young. Whenever something really morally gray or not even gray, but morally obviously wrong and unethical is done by leaders of the church. There is a tendency to explain it or just try to make it okay. Or they were really smart, really sorry or whatever. I, this was something on the, uh, the Reddit was a, another bishop that was accused of, uh, you know, sexual impropriety. And a lot of members of the church wrote letters to the judge saying he was, he repented, he was a good man, you know, that his church service, all these years and, and all these positions and callings he, he held to these people are evidence that he should not have to go to prison for what he's done, that he's somehow different than other men who are not Mormon, who have not been bishops and, and held all of these callings, um, that they would not deserve, but this guy's different because he's a good guy, you know, in quotations. And so I almost wonder, I can, I can absolutely see how if it was an accident, if it was, you know, just 
reaching a breaking point, the belief that we're still, we're good people and we don't deserve to go to jail or I don't, or he doesn't, or she doesn't, you know, whoever the spouse, you know, I can absolutely see how easy it is to feel like it's okay to lie to the law because we have a history of that. It's okay to lie to the law when we really know what's better and we really know what's best. And yes, we know what it looks like to them, but you know, we have God on our side. So we're fine lying or we're fine justifying in our minds something terrible that's happened because we're different. We're exceptions. I don't even think it's a Mormon thing. I, I think it's a human True. component. It's a human, just a reaction that if we're always trying to protect the next thing that could be taken from us. And, and so again, in all the possibilities in the, in the potential possibilities that involve them doing something that they don't want to talk about, um, I think it's a human compunction yeah, to, to want to protect your loved one. It is also baked into our history, though. Yeah, it's totally. Systemically. Oh, it's Mormon. But yeah, you're you're right. It is. I I think any human would be like, oh yeah. I mean, it is a natural thing to be like when, when I do something because I'm in my head and I know my reasoning. I can be a lot more sympathetic to myself when it's right. me doing something. But when it's somebody else, then it's it's clearly they're clearly off their rocker. It's completely different when it's somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and if you're right. And if for everybody in the audience, I mean, say your kid came to you and said he did something atrocious, are you going to protect him or do you turn him in? Like, I think everybody would battle that sort of thought in their head. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, ready for the videos? The, the, oh, well, we have to right, decide. Do we want to do those now. We I wanted to show okay. the Hannah reenactment again. So it'll all be then, here in chronological order. And then also, yeah. And then also I put all the sound bites together where all of the witnesses are talking about the small window where the actual horrific event occurred, but the sound quality may not be such that that's appropriate to do. It may not be, it may not be functional. So I'm happy to skip that, but I would definitely like to show the, show the reenactment. Okay. All right. Let me add that to the screen. Let me uh, change. This the... is part that we had showed last time because we got it in the first request, but it's good to have it here. So all in one place in sequence, the interviews and the officer just told Nolan that he wanted to call Hannah back in, talk with her for a few more minutes. It was to do this recreation because once again, they're focused on her like nobody's business. And this is where Nolan finally knocks on the door, comes in and says, okay, we're done here. And I was hoping that what, what I would see in this picture is whatever refrigerator or air conditioner is making all that noise every 25 seconds. Yeah, it's some kind of machinery. I mean, it could be an MRI for all I know in the next room where they're doing testing. Yeah, that thing got in the way and was annoying the hell out of me. But here we are. So, No sound. <clears throat> Oops, sorry. Let me go back a second. I'll try. Okay. That's really faint. Derek, Derek, Derek. It's also starting in the middle. On the bed with him. So I wasn't going to play the whole thing. I was just playing the reenactment of the actual getting out of bed. Okay, I apologize. We'll That's go okay. in from the start. And if we can crank up the volume a little bit. You want to go from the start? No, that, okay. fine. What, that's fine, what you're doing. Yep. Okay. We can crank up the volume um, as well. Let's, that's up to 100. Mine might be louder. I have it also. Yeah, please. Let's do yours. Then. Turn it up to 11, maybe. It was like two minutes. Yep. Derek, Derek. 
Derek, and he kept screaming, so I got on the bed with him, mm -hmm. scooped him up in my arms. Mm -hmm. Derek, Mama is here. Derek, Mama is here. Derek, Mama is here. Derek. No, he's not breathing. He's not breathing. And then I tried to hold him up and help him to breathe, and he wasn't breathing. He was just gasping. Okay. And how did you, did you move him from that position when you left the room? I handed him to, I must have handed him to Nolan because we okay. were all in the room when I started to get dressed. Okay. So I must have just handed him off. I don't remember how though. Okay. All right. Let me put it back down. Um, when you, when you, uh, and that's probably good. Heard I can say. make the noise. You said you got. That's good. Um, oh, but well, you got to have they... Nolan come in and. Oh, you, you want to show him ending the whole okay. thing? Please. Came over and you kind of put your hands on him? Yeah. Okay. Very gentle. Okay. Derek. Okay. Did you try to give his attention, like, sh you know, move him or, or shake him any at all? Did you try to get him to wake up? Sometimes, I like... I don't remember, but if I had, it would have been very gentle. Okay. Because I know, like, when I'm snoring or something, my wife will, hey, wake up. I'm wondering if, if, if you did something along those lines to try to get him to wake up out of whatever he was dreaming about. I don't remember. You don't remember? I'm sure I probably did something very similar to what your wife would do. Okay. Something that I would do anytime sure. he falls asleep. Just to... I don't remember specifics. Okay. So, uh, after you, you, you give him a little, little, uh, little nudge, um, you picked him up. Yeah, it was just easier to get on the bed and scoop him up into my arms. Okay. Because he was, he wasn't listening. He was so sad. Did he ever open his eyes? He didn't. I don't have perfect memory of that, but I don't think he did. Okay. I do remember. Where was he positioned on the bed? Was he laying on the side of, but next to the side? Was he in the middle of the bed? Was he on the far side? Where was he positioned on the bed? Not on the far side, because I had pillows there guarding against okay. him falling. Yes. So, the bed. Guys, we've been through a lot today. Where are we? We're almost done. Can we just finish? Absolutely. Yeah. I think. Okay. <laughs> I think we're done. Okay. All right. Thank you. I'm gonna go ahead and stop the recording at fourteen twenty hours. Just to know, this ends here, I guess. It does. Okay, so um, if I remember right, Nolan says she doesn't yell. She indicates she yells and even in the reenactment she yells so it's just another discrepancy that seems difficult to explain i i'm thinking i mean he said he she doesn't lose her temper uh, I, so you could look at it that way that you know she's not losing her temper but but like she said she's she's just trying to like get through to him Right. And that's why I phrased it as a question. I said, is that losing your temper? Right. Yeah. Not conclusory at all. Okay. So we're going to show the three clips from Bonnie Corden, which is actually what started this whole ball rolling in the first place. Yeah. 
This is Bill Real. This is uh, two days after the episode was recorded uh, regarding the Derek Corden homicide investigation. And uh, it took me a couple of days to put this audio together for the audio release. And because I had it ready for the show, I'm putting it in here as a bonus feature for our audio listeners. Sometimes you guys miss out by not seeing the YouTube video. Uh, I think in this particular episode, it was really important. And so in this audio version, I'm inserting here all of my clips that I put together of Bonnie, Hannah, and Nolan describing uh, the moment that the trauma to the child uh, likely occurred. And so I want you to notice with Bonnie that she acknowledges she was able to hear certain noises coming from the room that night. But then when asked specifically about other noises, she doesn't have any recollection or that any noises from anybody else occurred. Notice also her hesitation around that question. Notice then uh, it bounces back and forth between clips of Hannah and Nolan. Notice that Nolan, it is very important to his story that he woke up only after Hannah had already gotten out of bed and was handling the situation. And notice in a couple of clips with Hannah that she seems to, in her telling of the story, uh, indicate that her and Nolan both woke up together and both, uh, while in bed, told baby Derek to be quiet. And I simply think, I simply note that I think that this is the most important moment of the story. Hence, this is also the most important moment of the interviews. And so for our audio listeners, you get these clips, uh, whereas together cut up, whereas the, uh, the video listeners on YouTube did not. And I just want to note there are brief pauses in between each clip so that you know when one ends and the other one starts. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Before you got the phone call from Nolan, um, did you hear anything? Any, any sounds or noises or anything at all? Because the rooms are adjacent to one right? Yeah, they're right side by side. So did you hear anything? Well, I mean, I heard this, you know, baby noises, but we hear baby noises all through the night. Like, like what, the crying? Or? Yeah, yeah, see the cries or cries or, you know. Well, coming from, from the room that little Derek was in, did you hear any, any, no, any I mean, talking? Anybody? No, I didn't hear any talking. In fact, so when I got the phone call, that's, I mean, when I got the phone call, I'm up. If she went to the hospital, so grandma's up. I'm over at the other room. Derek's getting dressed. So, I mean, commotion was. To my understanding, little Derek at some point uh, may have yelled out or something or, or, or squealed or something. Or... Well, he was gone when I got the phone call. Right. I'm talking about before he was, before he was gone. Oh. And well, I was asleep. So I got the phone call. So you weren't awakened by any, anything or didn't hear anything while you were sleeping? Well, I've heard, yeah. I don't know if I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, they're all, they're babies. So you fall back asleep. What wakes you up? Derek woke me up with a scream. Okay. And it sounded to me like he had had a, a bad dream. He started to get them only recently. And we were afraid he would wake up. It would then take forever to get back to bed, so we just say, Derek, be quiet, he's gonna wake up. So I hopped out of bed and went over and I picked him up so I could comfort him, because maybe it was just a new place. And I picked him in my arms and he was still making lots of noise, like a screaming kind of noise. 
and like <gasps> hyperventilating almost. And I thought it was because he was so scared, so I kept saying, Derek, it's okay, Mama's here, Mama's here. But he was so loud, he couldn't, I didn't think he could hear me, he was so loud. And so I gently put my hand over his mouth just to quiet him a little bit so I could say in his ear, Mama is here. And as soon as I did that, he didn't breathe. You lay awake for a while or you exhausted from the day? And no, I, to sleep? I fell asleep pretty quick, so I was out pretty fast. Okay. So what, what did you hear? What woke you up? Um, what woke me up is Derek. Um, he was doing his, uh, his, uh, his cry that he does when uh, he's had a nightmare. Um, it's kind of a, a whiny cry. Um, and uh, uh, he was doing it for a while and it, it took me a while to respond because I knew Hannah was helping him out. Um, and uh, I was worried that he was going to wake the baby because uh, he was in the corner. Um, and uh, so I got up and was trying to shush Derek and kind of comfort him. Um, and then got up and it was game over, I thought. When you woke up in bed, what was the first thing you saw? Was Hannah still next to you? Was she already up holding Derek? Or was she on her way to get Derek out, up? Or what's the first thing you remember? I don't remember for sure. I think... Um, Just the first thing you remember? <laughs> yeah, well, I've been awake for... <laughs> I mean, um, I, I think she was already holding Derek, but I don't remember for sure. So let me make sure I get this right. When you, you were awakened by Derek making a noise... Oh, continual noise, yeah. Okay. How long did the noise go on by your estimation? I know that you were, you were sleeping, but was it like minutes or half um, hour? Well, it wasn't half hour. We weren't there for half an hour, so probably minutes. Minutes? Okay. I don't know. I mean, I woke up groggy. I understand. And that's why I'm, I'm just asking for an estimate. But can you kind of describe, like, can you make the noise that he, he, he made? Um, it was kind of a... Um, I think he made a noise before that, mm -hmm. but I was still kind of asleep. So when I woke up, that was the noise he was making. So when you woke up, the first thing that you see is Hannah consoling him? Yes. Okay. Again, with the, with the setting in the hotel, you guys all tired and traveling, he starts to wake up, he's crying. Is she concerned that he's going to wake the whole room up? Is she jumping up in a panic? And no, I mean, she, him she let him cry. For, usually we let him cry for a little bit. Because okay. um, sometimes he just cries in sleep, just a little, a little longer too. Um, but yeah, so when it was prolonged, that's when she most likely got up. Did she wake you up to, to say, hey, there's something really wrong, or...? No, no, it was, uh, you know... Derek's you heard it, so you were like, yeah. okay, let me go check and see if I can do something. Okay. Does he usually respond better with you, or with her? No, usually he responds better with her. What was Noel, uh, Noel doing when you woke up? Sleeping next to me. So he was asleep when uh, Derek screamed? Yeah, I woke up first, that's usually how it happens. He woke up pretty soon, like, almost immediately after, but I just seemed to do in. Uh, we are three hours plus. Ten minutes now. Minutes Are we going to take any phone calls tonight, Bill? Maven, what do you think? Three? I'm okay passing, man. I, it's up to you guys. I'm, well, let's just let's. We may have people who really want to call. Let's. Well, my can fear we is that three calls with comments and then not a lot of discussion. But if people want to make some comments, that'd be a good time. Three. And, is that okay? Yeah. Everybody? And, I, and I don't care if people make an observation about something they heard we didn't. I don't really want three phone calls of people saying she did it and he did it, and that to me seems a little. I don't know. I guess we'll go with whatever. I'll start the call studio. Okay. Hey, thank okay. you. What's that number? And then we get to watch uh, Bonnie. Uh, yeah, banners. You promised me less than two hours, my friend. <laughs> well, you, predicted oh, really? three you predicted three hours, and you were right. I was, was right. Was that before we decided to play everything all the way through, though? No, this was after. So, oh, all right. Yeah, Here we definitely. go. Okay.
on my knees oh. and I said, Heavenly Father, I can't, I can't accept this assignment. It's just too hard. But the nudge and the prompting said, just go, just go. This is her, hear him. We were on a family vacation and an unexpected situation happened where our grandson was uh, all of a sudden stopped breathing and we lost him. After spending three days in a children's hospital with him, our hearts were very tender. As we returned back to Salt Lake, I realized that I had an assignment at the primary children's hospital. And my heart was so tender and raw, I just knew I couldn't do it. So I got on my knees and I said, Heavenly Father, I can't, I can't accept this assignment. It's just too hard. But the nudge and the prompting said, just go, just go. So with tears in my eyes, I drove to the primary children's hospital. And I thought, I'm not going to be any good for anyone, but I'm here. And as I walked in, I just the sights and the sounds just opened up so much of a heartbreak for me. But I got the assignment to meet Oliver. And I walked in his little room, and on his whiteboard was a scripture that said, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. I don't know how it happened, but that scripture opened my vision, healed my heart in a way that I could never have done it. And I was so grateful that the Lord gave me this gift. And if I can't even imagine if I hadn't have listened, but the gift and the um, joy that came into my heart as I realized the eternities was an immense um, blessing. And I was grateful that he had given me that hard thing to do. And so me going to that primary children's hospital was for no one else but for me to feel the love of the Savior and through his grace feel healed, supported. And it was, a, it was just a gift. So I'm grateful that we could hear him because it just opens up our minds of how much he loves us and understands our circumstances. That was the video that started it all last summer when it came out that led somebody to go looking and find that Family Protective Services report. Okay, here's number two, which is at BYU when she's speaking on a different occasion about this. Life sent me a hurricane of sorrow in December of 2016. We took our family on a trip of a lifetime, a week at Disney. Our oldest grandchild, Derek, was two and a half, and I was so excited, and he was so excited to discover the magic for the very first day, everything amazed him. He held my hand, and together we rode as, as many rides as we could, falling into bed each night, exhausted and happy. In the middle of the fourth night, little Derek stopped breathing, and his parents rushed him to the hospital. I stayed with the family at the hotel and immediately went to my knees in prayer. With a measure of confidence, I asked Heavenly Father to bless little Derek, that he would feel good enough to join us that day for our planned activities. As I was praying, the Spirit gently but unmistakably impressed on my mind, little Derek has returned home to heaven. Wait, what? The answer was so far from my thoughts, and yet I knew it was true. Despite my Reeling shock, there was an instant peace from God which passeth all understanding. In my heart and in my mind, I knew then little Derek had passed away. Derek was in a children's hospital for three days on life support. 
I longed for my little Derek, but as I prayed, I continued to feel comfort and consolation from a loving Heavenly Father. Oh, I'm, that one was worse. I hadn't rewatched these before. I, I saw you, RFM. I, we both realized when she was like, we went on all these rides. Like, what? Yeah, what about the rides? Right. In the like in her interview, she's like, no, he's too small for any rides, really, except for like maybe one. But but and then it was just more details that we know are wrong now. And we know that she would have known uh, this was so much worse than I remembered. But there's there's one more. But did you guys want to say any more about this one? Sorry, just I the obvious point that uh, I had mentioned before is that she knows that Derek's parents did not drive him to the hospital because she already told the police that she got a call from Nolan, her son, after they had driven off, and he told her that. But she still feels like she needs to say his parents, plural, drove him to the hospital because what would it look like if she told the truth? Right. She recognizes it looks bad. So she changes the story so it doesn't look bad, which indicates that in her own mind, there's a struggle going on. Right. If you know it sounds bad to other people and you're going to change the story, but you know what the real story is? That you probably think it sounds bad too. Right. And she also seems to imply that she wasn't aware that he was, that he had passed later than she did know. And not from the spirit either. Yeah. Uh, and we can't say exactly when it is she goes down to her knees in prayer, though it's at the hospital after she finds out. But I think we know that Hannah knew by the time she got to the hospital, three miles away, going 65 miles an hour, takes, what, five minutes tops? And I'm allowing for stop signs and traffic lights, which she probably blew anyway, that she knows that he's gone because the nurse are saying, when was this baby last alive? When was the last time right. this baby was alive? That information got communicated to Bonnie in short order, I would think, and probably before she gets this inspiration from heaven that tells her what everybody else already knew by that time anyway. Take all the religion Great. out of it. Every human being in a crisis moment like this is going to experience both thoughts. You're going to have thoughts running through your head that you've lost, that that kid's going to die. You're going to lose them. And you're going to have thoughts that they're going to recover and they're going to be just fine. And your brain goes to both places. So then taking one of them and calling them an answer from heaven is is hindsight and only works once you actually know what really happens yeah and i was going to say all three of these people who were interviewed they all know even though we understand that there's a hope against hope yeah that is nurtured in the human breast but they all three know that he's gone yeah hannah says his lips are blue the, the nurse says when was the last time this baby was alive bonnie says have any of you lost a grandchild before at the beginning of her interview? And at the end of his interview, Nolan says, what are we going to do with the body? How are yeah. we going to make arrangements to transport that? Yeah. So they all know he's gone. I'm sure that they're still hoping that a miracle will happen, but it did not. And so it just seems like this is common knowledge that would be shared by everybody. There's no way of saying when Bonnie actually got that, if it's before or after she says to drop to her knees in prayer. But I guess that's all I can say about it. Yeah. 
This last video is from the, it's a Relief Society event. Um, it's a little bit different than the, the first two. Um, this is the car seat one. I love that you're both kind of assuming nobility of all people. You know, everyone, we never know what circumstances people are coming from. Um, I know I've, you know, been in a meeting at times and they'll be discussing things and you think, as you prayerfully listen, you think, where are they coming from? Because it's a totally different thought than maybe how we're thinking or how we perceive it should be right. Um, let me just give you a story that may or may not illustrate some of the principles here that we're talking about. Um, and it's kind of a story of just misunderstanding, um, maybe a little bit of suspicion that someone was trying to get away with something, or, um, but it ended with a lot of compassion and love. In December, about to, uh, December 2016, my um, son and his dear wife um, were checking into the airport in Florida, and they had tragically um, and unexpectedly lost their two-and-a-half-year-old on a vacation. And as they were checking in, they had a lot of luggage, and they had this little car seat. And the agent looked at him and said, you have too much luggage here, we're going to have to charge you. My daughter-in-law, of course, with a very heavy heart and not quite, had a lot of emotion going on. She said, um, you know, they didn't charge us for the car seat when we came out. And the lady, kind of suspicious, said, where's the child? And Hannah could have been offended, but she chose to realize that this agent had no idea of the tragedy that went on in her life. So she, with a lot of love and a little bit of tears, said, we came with our little boy and he unexpectedly passed away, so we're bringing his car seat home. Well, of course, the agent, having a bigger expanded vision of what the situation was, she just loved her. She cried. Hannah cried. My son cried. They checked in the car seat. There was no extra charge. But I think if we realize that as we're sitting in councils and we're working with people, in, especially in the church, we have a wonderful opportunity to do something that I think is remarkable, and that's sustain. Yeah. Okay, Bill, you're gesticulating. What's going through that head of yours with that beautiful well, haircut? I'll I'll say this. Um, <laughs> okay, well, um, the way all the facts lined up, you're gonna turn your mic on me. I did it again. Yeah. Okay, that's I, all right. I hit that's why. Yeah, yeah. We're trying to help you out there. So I didn't really right. have. We're making a new right. T-shirt now. No, 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 no. <laughs> I hit <laughs> it, but I muted. guess maybe both of us. But um. Yeah, no, the whole point of this was to sustain the brethren when they're disrespectful to you and, you know, you feel like they're yeah, not listening to you. Such a weird way woman. to use this story, isn't it? Right. It was very strange. Oh, um, Can I just add one, one obvious thing, which is that apparently according to the story and everything else we've heard, for whatever reason, Hannah has a real issue with money. Yes. Or as Hannah says, Derek, or a Nolan does. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you just lost your kid, so of course you're going to bicker about having to pay for the car seat, which is going to have to be checked, you know. Yeah. And 
Anyway, Bonnie starts that off so weird where she says something like, you know, something suspicious could have happened. You could have thought that. And, and all of us are watching going, oh, my gosh, she's going to say it, you know, and mm -hmm. and the reality is she's she's defining this airport story in ways that very much match the words you'd use for what just really happened days before. But she uses it with the airport story and she doesn't seem to recognize that this probably shouldn't be told at all. And it especially shouldn't be told in these sort of terms. And she like kind of like they're trying to get end. away with something. The yeah. airport security person, uh, the checking person at the airport, looking like them, looking at them like they're trying to get away with something. Yeah. By the way, it was Bonnie who, in her interview with the police, said in an unsolicited way, "We're not trying to hide anything. It's not like we're trying to hide anything." That was right. in response to the last question about, "Is there anything else?" that we haven't asked that we should know. And then she sort of laughs as well. We're, it's not like we're trying to hide anything. I'm not saying that that's necessarily a guilty expression. All I'm going to say is that when people come into my office and they want to hire me as a lawyer and they tell me that money is no object, my experience has been that if you say money is no object, money's going to be an object. Right. 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 Uh, the whole conversation is pretty suspicious I, and the other people in chat are saying it. I think we brought this up before. It is just a really, really weird story that just doesn't really kind of ring right at all. And yeah. again, it's like the miracle of the story or like the, the great thing about the story is that it gets checked, you know, the car, they get the car seat checked for free, you know, they don't have to pay for the, the car seat. Yep. See, it's so all sustain great. Sustain your and, brethren. Yeah. Car seat for free just so weird and i don't know i mean honestly if it was me and this did happen and this kind of conversation like i i lost a kid and then there, i would just be like you know f it just just leave the car seat obviously don't need it anymore yeah. you know that's what i would say and I, and i would say it right to that person's face you know whatever mm -hmm. you know i i would be upset and that's that's how i would I, it's just it's a strange story it's so so strange yeah. Every I almost got arrested at an airport once after my mom died, but that's a story for another day. Use that in the next Thrive talk you give. Okay, I will. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, All right, should we take calls? a couple calls? Okay, but be fast, guys. <laughs> Very okay. fast because we're, yeah, it's especially late in Utah. Over here on the Pacific Coast, we're just beginning the evening. All right, here we uh, here we go. Caller, you're, I, I got the name is Sarah, is that correct? Yes. Okay, Sarah, you're on the air, Mormonism Live. What are you thinking? Uh, um, so my thoughts were just, our memories can be wrong sometimes. Um, my husband and I were having a conversation today about a conversation we had earlier in the day, and we were both remembering it totally different. Yeah. And so... But you were um, right. Just the... <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, but the some of the discrepancies could be just they're remembering wrong. Like it might not be like them saying it on purpose, or I don't know. Like that totally. was just my thought process. Mm -hmm. Absolutely correct. I agree. Yep, totally agree. Yeah. All right. Thank, thank you, Sarah. Guys. That, oh, thank, thank you, Sarah. Sarah. Thank you very much. All right. The next one here is Ryan. Ryan has a comment, I believe. Oop, let's see if it goes back on here. Something went wrong. Okay. Ryan, are you there? 
Yes, I'm here. And you've got a comment about tone policing of interviews. Yeah, um, I was real. I mean, there is so much about the interviews that, yes, is to be criticized, to be analyzed. Um, there's a lot of suspect things here, but I was really bothered by um, a number of people in the chat tonight who were yeah. constantly tone policing what, how emotional or non-emotional specifically the um, interviews were. Um, trauma, even if even if these people had killed their child, I mean, I'm, and I'm putting this up as strictly hypothetical, even if they had killed a child, I'm pretty sure it was accidental, it would still be horribly traumatic to yeah. them. Totally. And trauma in the moment gets processed very differently by each person very individually. I can say this personally um, for reasons I'm not sure I want to mention. Um, but I was really bothered by so many people saying like, oh, they're not upset enough or they're too, you know, their effect is too flat. They are in the moment. They are not in the future with us looking back on all this evidence, all this information, having processed it from outside. And it really bothered me. Um, and, and that's another thing I think, too, is like we are so used to being here. I mean, like, like those last um, clips with Bonnie, she's had all that time to you know, process, prepare, think of exactly how she wants to frame these stories. And so those, yeah, we can sit there and go like, OK, she has planned her emotional reaction and how she's going to do when she tells the story. But in her interview, she was in the moment. She did not have time or at least barely any time, if any. And so like, we cannot, I think we need to be careful to analyze these things um, appropriately. Agree, Agree completely. Yeah. Ryan. That's why I was trying to say earlier about kind of be armchair diagnosing personality disorders and uh, guilt mm -hmm. and things like that. Because if we yeah. want to see someone as guilty, you can see it that their, their aspect is too flat. They're not being emotive enough. Or if if she was, she's being too emotive. She it's performative now. Now it's now she's too emotional. You know, it's it's really easy to you know to do that. So I, I appreciate you calling in and, and saying that and, and pointing that out. By yeah. the way, Ryan, there's been research done. The audience should hear this. There's been research done to try to gauge how accurate we are about reading other people when they're sharing an emotion or sharing. Um, whether we believe them, whether we think they're angry, whether we and they're not, whether we think they're happy and they are. And what they find is that human beings, when trying to guess based on tone and body language, get it right somewhere between 50 and 55%, which means almost yes. half the time you're wrong. Yeah. And can I just say something else about these detectives and the questions that they're asking? The one, Thanks, the one fault that I would have to say is that I understand that the second detective wants to use the strategy of assuring the people, assuring Nolan, assuring Hannah that they didn't, you know, we're not saying that you did anything intentionally to hurt this kid because the, the undercurrent is, of course, we know you did something to hurt this kid, but we're not saying you meant to do it or that you acted maliciously. And he's doing that in order to try and lubricate the, the whole system to get him to get it out, right? Spit out the, the confession or the incriminating statement. I get that part. The problem, I think, is that they, there are a number of places where detective number one asks a pointed question. Why didn't you call 911? Or why didn't you talk to the sister next door? Why didn't you contact her? And either the other detective or the same detective who's asking the question, by the way, when you ask a question, stop. 
Let the person you're talking to deal with the question. But then what happens is either that detective or the other detective follows up with this whole spiel about we're not saying that you did anything wrong, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And what that's doing is giving the other person a chance to figure out what the hell they're going to say in response to this question, which now is not catching them off guard because the detective gave them time to think about it while he was going through this whole routine. That's my one criticism. If they're, if they happen to be watching the show, I mean it with love and hopefully you'll do better in the future. Thank you. If you don't mind, I'd like to add one on top, which is they sat down with Hannah at least what? Two, three times, right? Three times. I think two. Okay. Yeah. And they had the rest of the family. So they hear what the other family says too. It feels as though if you had two chances with somebody, you do one at the beginning, one at the end, you ask everybody else in between, you figure out your where your contradictions are, and you go into that second interview with the questions that we brought up tonight about contradictions in the story that they never asked because they, they'll never get the chance now to do it, and they weren't ready to ask that stuff the second time they sat down with her. I got to tell you, based on the reactions of Hannah and Nolan, there was no way that they were ever going to shake them loose from, we don't know what happened. Yeah. And we're as mystified as you are. Please find the answer and explain it to us because they're coming from the position. This is what happened. And even though it completely conflicts with what the doctors are saying, we don't know what happened. Something if something happened to him, we don't know what it was. Yeah. And they refuse to pick up on any of the juicy clues that the the detectives are asking them. They're begging them to pick up on. Did he fall? They know a fall is not going to cause this injury to the kid. Okay. But they're trying to get them to pick up on something. And quite, uh, I'm not going to say that they did it well, but I'm going to say that their story that they stuck to is why it is that nobody ended up getting prosecuted for this case. Yeah. No, this this could never get anything from a jury because there's too, there's too much open. There's just not enough solid stuff here. Okay. Um, one more call if you guys want to take it. We've yeah, got, Sarah Ryan uh, and number three for the night. This is, I believe, Heather. Heather, are you on the phone? Hi, how's it going? Awesome. You're on Mormonism Live. What's on your mind tonight? Um, I just want to share a bit of a personal experience that um, that I had as working as a home daycare provider. Um, this was in the state of South Carolina. Um, and a boy... Well, a, 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 a couple of boys, uh, siblings, um, came to me, and one um, was eight months old and had been shaken. Um, I took these two kids on because, like, Im- immediately they're, like, just adorable, lovable kids. But um, as I got to know more of what was happening, because when they first came to me, I'm like, I don't even know what had happened, but this kid has a shunt in his head he's eight months old can't even hold his head up much less crawl sit feed himself or anything um but as i came to learn the story um and i'm i'm not a doctor but what was explained to me by his father um that this this all happened when the mother or when the father was deployed with the navy and the mother um had done this um, but the brain imaging, what I understand, came to understand and learn is the brain imaging is like advanced enough to be able to determine when a baby is shaken, if and when 
it, it like ever impacts, like if it impacts with the wall or not, or like, or something hard. Um, and when and how many times, like they can tell by the, like how much healing has happened and how the bruising appears and everything. Like they can basically time it when these things like occur, you know, I don't know how like pinpointed it, you know, like hour to the hour or to the day, but definitely like weeks and, and everything like that. So I think like, I guess I'm just bringing this up because like the forensic evidence presented the medical evidence, like, just undeniable we know how he died we just don't know like what happened in that room you know like to, to get him to that point but right. um you know they if, if they say like you know we know it happened in this you know time period that they were in this room like you got to believe that it's not that he he didn't hit his head on a roller coaster or something like that and go on acting like normal um sometimes in like light cases of shaking they can sort of appear somewhat normal um but in a severe enough case to kill them um it's not they're not going to look normal after that happens um and this particular child i had um the what the father told me that the doctor said it was as as severe as they had seen like as severe as his pediatric neurologist had seen and still survive. Um, but, um, just what happened with that, with that case, the mother was, um, was charged and convicted of however many, I don't remember how many counts, but multiple counts of attempted murder because of the number of times they could, they could tell like that he'd been shaken and the last, uh, or the most recent occurrence, they could tell he had, his head had impacted with something like a wall or, or something hard so yeah anyway thanks <laughs> yeah no thank you for that i think um from what i understand the newborn brains I, this might have even been from dr peacock uh, i might not be remembering yeah. correctly but but i know like newborn brains are so they're almost like jelly is what i was told Tapioca. they're extremely fragile yeah extremely fragile um and they start to solidify as the child gets older um, I think for Derek, I, if I understand right, it, it's still, it's at the point where it is solidified or starting to, it's not quite, a, it's not the tapioca pudding like a newborn's um, is, but yeah, with the, with the shaking, um, that'll, I think that does show trauma in different ways than a blunt force, um, because I think that will have both on the outside of the school and on the inside, and it's both sides of the brain, because a lot of times the brain will hit it with a blunt force that it'll hit the skull on one side and bounce back and hit the other. So that's why there's usually two injuries. Right. But yeah. Um, and like you said, that's, that's the hard evidence that we're looking at that nobody in the family wants to acknowledge or address in some way. And this again, was also in what Dr. Peacock had said was that an injury like that is something that anyone would know without any need to have any kind of medical knowledge instinctually you would know that this child has been seriously, seriously harmed. So it's not just like Bonnie was saying, running and tripping or a ride that he went on. They had to know right. it had to have happened from what I understand in that hotel room at night when they were back, not during the day. So, yeah. And for completeness, yeah. I'll just add that there's part of it with the brain development, the tapioca pudding of the infant 
and then growing more solidified and even calcified when you get to 63 like some of us are. But it's also also a um, uh, it also has to do with the musculature in the neck. Okay. Yes. Because if somebody tries right. to shake me, I'm not going to let my head just go boing, 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 because I got muscles that are going to tense right. up and not allow that to happen. Right. So baby, blah, 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 blah. two and a half year old, you've got more right. muscles because you carry your head around, you know, and you do it all day and it develops the muscles. So you're less likely, which means according to Dr. Peacock, it's going to take a lot more violently shaking of a two and a half year old if shaking there is yes. to cause that kind of brain injury than it would for an infant. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, I know. I, oh, go ahead. I, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, as, as I understood, like most of the, most of the shaken baby syndrome cases happen like before six months of age um, where that, you know, but yeah, because of like, they're not, they don't have the same musculature to hold their head up, like you said. And, uh, but yeah, Derek at two running around and everything, like certainly like has more musculature and it would take a lot more to do that. But, um, yeah, the, this particular case I had, this child came to me at eight months of old and I think it happened. Heather, Heather, can I ask you a question? Within his first five or six. I'm interrupting and I apologize, but you keep saying this child came to me with a brother in what capacity did you adopt them? Yes. I don't understand. So, no, okay. She was oh, a, oh, a daycare provider. I, I was a daycare provider. They came into my care as a okay. daycare provider. Um, these two brothers, one was eight months old. The older brother was two years. And I thought he had the um, facial characteristics and behavioral characteristics of alcohol or fetal alcohol syndrome. Mm -hmm. So there were was, was things going on with both of these kids. Because, um, you know, as I took these kids on, um, the, young, the baby had all kinds of like occupational therapy, play therapy, like therapists coming into my home while he's um, in my daycare. And, you know, the, the other therapists are looking, okay, well, what kind of care is, is the, what kind of therapy is the older brother getting? Because you see what I see? I, like, like they ask me, what is he, what's he getting? I'm like, well, um, his dad doesn't think there's anything wrong, but I see what you're seeing. I think that there's. There might be, you know, and it's, it's a hard thing, you know, like, because these, these children were severely neglected, you know, what, you know, when they find, you know, when she was convicted or whatever, like they found, you know, evidence enough to convict her, um, that she was very severely neglectful to both of these kids and shake the, and had shaken the baby several times. Um, she could have shaken the other one when he was younger, but we don't know. Um, anyway, I, I just, you know, it's, it's a hard thing. And I know the situation with the Cordons is different. I don't think that they, like, they don't seem like they're bad parents, neglectful parents or anything. And I know like a lot of the cases, you know, a lot of these shaken baby cases and stuff like that happens when, I mean, it's not, they don't intend to hurt their child. They, mm -hmm. they don't want to kill. They're not trying to kill him. It's usually just. They're just trying to of, get him to uh, shut up. Killed. At their wit's end. Yeah, you know, it's fresh. It's frustration. They're at their wit's end. Not enough support. Um, not enough skills. Um, you know, like. Yeah, Heather. Heather, it's like Ham Heather. Heather, it's like Hamlet said. I am myself indifferent, honest. 
but yet I, but yet I could accuse me of such things that were better. My mother had never borne me. Yeah. Like yeah. we all in our worst moments <laughs> under enough yeah. stress, we all could do something horrible yeah. again, not to say that that happened here, but it certainly signs yeah. a light on the possibility that all of us have breaking points. It reminds us. I like us to all. think that under the right circumstances, all of us are capable oh, of committing yeah. murder. Yeah. And I actually, thank I you, Heather. Use, yes. Thank you, Heather. I want to use this opportunity to just point out at, this is really common and and any parent every parent gets frustrated with their children at some point or another so it's not uh that you're a bad parent if you ever just get to a point where you can't handle things with your kids so i just want to put out there that you know whatever you need to do if you're getting to that point if you're a, a single parent and you just don't have the resources that you need it's it's all the more likely that accidents can happen and i just want to say that there are resources out there and um like if you look up the family centers near you there are places that have free child care i even looked it up um you know a, a few weeks ago just in my area just talking about this with somebody else completely separate to this case um just but yeah are there like family community centers near me and and there are there's two of them that offer emergency childcare, either it, it could be for doctor appointments, if you need somebody, or if it's you're stressed out and you need a break, they, there's no questions asked. And it's precisely to prevent these kinds of things happening. So it's not a, a pile on the guilt kind of a thing or, or make you feel bad about yourself. These resources exist. And so if you are struggling, it's, uh, it's worth looking up uh, in your area to see, you know, what's available to you. So I highly recommend that if there, if we do have any parents in the audience that are, are struggling with this, I just want you to know that. So. Thank you, Maven. I think that's a great note to end the show on. What do you think, Bill? Just, I, I would only say just from, you know, running the, the umbrella side of this and worried about kind of the legal side, just to say, I mean, we tried to present all the information. Nobody knows what happened. Even if something horrific happened that isn't being talked about in these interviews, the, this, these parents, regardless of what happened, these parents are living with the horror of that day forever. And, you know, I see in the comments where she did it and he did like, You just, you, you got to refrain from that only because it's, you don't know. You don't know if, somebody did something and the other person didn't see when it happened. You don't know if you just don't know. Yeah. And, and I was so, going to say there, there is a chance that they really did not see whatever injury happened to this. Yeah. kid. Maybe it did happen a little right. earlier. Right. You know, it's, right. it's possible. Yeah. And so we, we need to be really careful of what we say. And, and I hope that you felt like we presented it fairly and tried to stay with the information and do it the best we could. And I'm with you, RFM. Let's, let's just put this one down and not, not come back to it. Epilogue. Absolutely. If nothing else, I think we've understood why it is that charges were not filed against anybody as a result of this, because proof beyond a reasonable doubt is a stiff hill to climb. Yeah. Okay. Have a great night, you guys. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next week at this time, hopefully not this late, on Mormonism Live.